Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have a great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. You know that's happening right now. You're coming in. Wow, that is hot. What is going on? You're coming in, huh, bro? Check, 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 check. There we go. You Now I'm gone. Now I can't even hear myself. Good. You know that's <laughs> happening right now on a beach in Southern California near you. That is definitely happening. Some booming? Some booming. It is that time of year. You know spring has sprung when you hear boom coming from the pier. Yesterday was his birthday, too, actually. Happy birthday. No. Okay. Probably had to do the egg thing instead. Some Easter egg hunts. Yeah. Cash and guy. Good time for Hunting some eggs. Maybe Dad got breakfast in bed later. Maybe he, like, came up for eggs, had to go back, and then he got breakfast in bed or something. Because at that point, it's really about your kids, right? It doesn't matter that you're nah. Yeah, it's like my birthday. My birthday ends up on Mother's Day half the time. Oh, bitter. Not half the time. Once I'm every a, I'm a usually at Easter birthday, so there's a lot of chocolate involved in mine. Nice. Yeah. Tomorrow. Well, tomorrow. 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 Well, this is the pre-birthday show the for pre-birthday Katie Charles. Show. Oh, hey, now. Welcome to Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 21st of April in year six of TNL. This is the chocolate episode. Yeah, Katie brought us treats for her birthday. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> it's a European model. Actually, I don't know if you know that, Jeremy. Your, the Europeans give you gifts on their birthday? You, as the birthday person, host food for your friends. Okay. That's okay. how it works in Europe. I'm I down with that. I thought you'd both be more pleasant with some sugar in your life this morning. Probably. So. I learned that in Belgium where I, had to, I got to have Volsterbroches. People were for people's birthdays. Because you didn't celebrate your birthday by inviting everybody over? I was gone early, actually. We, we went on the 6th. I was gone by the 9th or something. Yeah. So I missed my birthday. It's May 14th. So, yeah, I, I did not have to do that. But I enjoyed Vosterbroches all year. Do you know what Vosterbroches? I have no idea. It is a sausage inside of a pastry, basically. It is, it is like a bagel dog. Except way better. better. Way Sausage better. Side of a pastry? Uh-huh. Not really a pastry, more of a, more of a bread. Yeah. And you put hot mustard on it, no. and then you go into just it's a food good. coma. There's <laughs> a lot of happiness involved in that. Oh, it's, it's incredible. If they serve them at Staples, I should have them. You should have them. But no. they won't, because a Bosa brooch would cost $92 <laughs> at Staples. Speaking of birthdays, this year is a big one for you, isn't it? Yes, four zero. I have made it, unfortunately. Don't look a day over twenty one because you can't I'm, shave yet. I'm trying. <laughs> shaved once last week. <laughs> so yes, I will be forty, May fourteenth. I'm not sure I don't know where that falls in the week. It would be a Wednesday. Wednesday. So there will be no show on my birthday. There was a birthday show a couple of years ago. I may have been by myself. I had to- <laughs> 
somebody who was joyfully pointed out to me that as of tomorrow, I'll be closer to 40 than I am to 20. I said, that's really nice of you. Dings a little bit, doesn't <laughs> a little bit. it? Thank like, you. Ooh. Feel free to stop that. <laughs> Dings. Ouch. All right, we have a good show planned for you today. We will talk about, of course, uh, various nonsense. I bought new cables, Jeremy, so I can play movie clips whenever I want. Great. We also have Chris McGowan, head coach of BYU, and BYU Cougars are the host of the MPSF Final Four, the MPSF tournament coming up, I believe, next weekend. I have not looked up the dates yet, but the Cougars. We will. They decimated, detonated, destroyed, bombed, crushed, mutilated, annihilated. Gardhoff on here. USC. Yeah, they boomed. <laughs> they boomed all over USC this past weekend. So BYU, once again, the host, and the top four seeds won. It wasn't easy, but the top four seeds did it. Stanford 5 against Irvine. Heard that was an epic match. Just because I was in a convention center in Philadelphia. Long Beach State took the first set against Pepperdine. Pepperdine came back <laughs> in four <laughs> with the victory. And then Santa Barbara defeated UCLA. I believe that one was also 5. I'm looking it up right now. I read it over the weekend. I, I give credit to Pepperdine. I enjoyed watching the match. I watched the match for a while here at home. They were... Streaming it was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, UCSB beats UCLA in epic fifth game. Um, it was 15-12. Is that epic? What, what made it so epic, Vinny? That's what I want to know. Should have read his blog this morning. <laughs> Vinny Lopes off the block doing some fantastic job. Doing a fantastic job. And you, you can actually watch match point. Look at that. End of set part one. That way, Vinny. But Pepperdine, nice job with it. I think it was... Al Epstein on the call, all by himself. No analyst, but he's doing a nice job. Very clear video. Well done. Replays. They had replays. Streaming replays. Yeah. Nice. It was really high quality. So, yeah, there it is. So but who does uh, Pepperdine play next? That's a good question. I don't know what the tournament looks like. It's a fine question, Jeremy. Somebody on the chat board will, so it will know. Be should be one BYU, four. BYU, Santa Barbara, right, and, and then two, three. Pepperdine, Stanford. Yes, that is correct because I read the end of the Pepperdine press release. Now that you say that, Kitty. Yeah, they will face Stanford, and Stanford is scary, very, very scary. I think they're. I'm going to put them in the championship. Yeah, unfortunately, even against my Pepperdine, I'm going to put Stanford into the title match. At Loyola, Chicago, first weekend in May. I think they're that good. Even though... Well, they have the at-large kind of locked up, don't they? With the win in the first round, they should be the highest RPI team. Correct? I, you know, there's all the projections, and Vinny's gone through them. Gone through everything that you could possibly have, right? As far as factors go. In figuring that out. And then I've heard some people say, well, Vinny does a great job. He doesn't have it exactly right. Go, okay, well, <laughs> who does? that's the best source I have. <laughs> but there are lots of factors. It's not like the women's game where it's so big on the RPI. There's so many other factors going into it. We've got a nice video by Vinny here. He, he details the MPSF tournament quarterfinals. Could run that. Uh, oh, here's the match result. That's what I was looking for. Because it was, it was five sets for Stanford, and I think they're that good. But UC Irvine really showed something down the stretch. It was 15-13 in the fifth. How about this match? Stanford's the winner, so it was 28-30. Wow. 
25-22, Solid. This is a close match. Pepperdine was 22-25. 26, 24, 25, 23, 25, 20. And if you watch that mm. second set, it was a, was it an overcall? First of all, Long Beach was leading down to the end and gave up two points when they were on set point to tie it. It was 24, 22, Long Beach, Pepperdine serving. Gave up two points, tied at 24. Pepperdine comes back two more points. And it was, I think, an overcall or something funky that it was, oh, it was Long Beach with a point. Wait, no, the set is over. Just kidding. And it was one of those kind of brutal things. You wondered if that happened, what or would that, that do? Yeah. yeah, so Long Beach State goes down. Long Beach State just didn't have enough outside of Taylor Crabb. He is phenomenal. Well, he did carry that team all season. you got to give him a bonus for that. Oh, he gets all the credit in the world. I, I, Taylor Crabb is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Is the MPSF player of the year again. No, I don't believe so. MB, that all was announced. Did they announce let that? me let me go back to that list because I don't want to really just, make any work over there. I don't want to just spout it out. You know, I don't want to just throw it, throw it and not know it because that wouldn't be good. <laughs> See, that's something we could have on there. Yeah, that's a T-shirt. That's yep, Coach of the Year. Don't throw it and not know it. Here you go. Player of the Year Taylor Sander hmm. from BYU. BYU. Freshman of the year? Anyone? Anyone? Been saying his name all year. No clue. Gardhoff? Matt Gardhoff? Oh, a... Congratulations. <laughs> Lucas Yoder. Yeah. Lucas Yoder. Much deserved. He had a tremendous season. Love that pick. So, all MPSF first team. Taylor Sander, outside hitter. Taylor Crabb, outside hitter. Gonzalo Quiroga, outside hitter. Love all those. <laughs> Brian Cook from Stanford. At opposite. They play him at outside hitter, but whatever. Micah Christensen. Josh Taylor of Pepperdine, Taylor Avril of Hawaii, James Shaw, Matt West. So three setters. Interesting first team. I've seen them all live, and I don't even think West is close to Christensen and Shaw. I think he's pretty good. He's not not he's quite he there. Pretty good. I think Shaw has. Shaw might have had a better year than Micah. Oh, I thought he did too. I think Shaw well, has has really raised his level. <laughs> Matt West, okay. Stephen Irvin, outside hitters from Stanford. I like that. Jonah Safe. Dude, how many Another people setter. are on this first team? We've got four setters. I don't know. How do you put four setters in there? Scott Kevorkin, middle blocker from UC Irvine. How many people are on the first team? That's a lot. It's half the conference. That's no, 12. Huh. It's a travel roster. I'm, I'm cool with 12. But, yeah, it, it's funny because I read down this list, and you do. You have so many players in here. You only have, like, what? Ten teams, twelve teams, whatever it is in the MPSF, right? And we have this many players. Honorable mention, freshman team. So Yoder, Benish, Hodges, Stahl, Sakaida, Dobert, and Bannel. Never saw Bradley Sakaida. I find Jackson Bannel to be an interesting choice in there. He played a lot. At three different positions. Yeah. So, I mean, all freshmen? You come into MPSF and you play three different positions. I didn't realize Sakaida was a freshman. For a top flight program? Oh, it's a brother. It's not Scooter. Uh, It's not Scotty. Uh, You come into the MPSF and you play three different positions. I think you're all freshmen. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I I don't know about four setters. That seems to me people not able to make a tough choice. (laughs) You know, 
You have four really good setters in the MPSF. Oh, let's put them all in there. Who carries four setters on a roster? Is there a second team or just honorable mention? You know how many middle blockers there are? Two. You know how many liberos made first team? None. It's not really a team. Like, should you have to pick it by position? Jeremy? There should be a libero on each. There should be a libero. But should, should have been Brinkley. Should it be a plausible travel roster all-star team you could play? Yeah, but then do you add it to 13, or do you cut it to 12 and hope for the... No, it's always 12. 12 is your, your suitable roster. You're talking all-star team type here, or what are we talking about? All MPSF for the season. Should it be a playable squad? Well, if the libero position, the hitters are going to get the most of the pub for sure. So how do you quantify the libero side? How many digs do they get? You can have great liberos, Henry Cassidy. No, I'm with you on that. I don't think if it's not a quote unquote all star team, it's just the best of the best, then you don't necessarily need to have somebody from every position. That'd be my gut call. Grant Delgado? So all they're saying is that the liberos aren't that good. <laughs> I thought those two guys were fantastic. Yeah. Michael Brinkley gets second team at the libero spot. Henry Cassidy gets second team at the libero spot. Where the heck? Sato and King uh Kinji get libero spots on the honorable mention, as does Grant Delgado. Honorable mention for Grant Delgado? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I thought he played pretty well down the stretch. But your first team has one, two, three, four, although he's listed as an opposite, five, six outside hitters. Now, I love outside hitters. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I love outside hitters. But half the roster is outside hitters. Then you have four setters. And two middles. And two, only two middles. Hey, middle blockers, pick it up. Taylor Averill of Hawaii and Scott Kevorkin of UC Irvine. But should it be a playable thing? I, I kind of feel like it, it Why? ought to be a playable thing. Why? <sighs> well, I just don't think the middles get any love here. But well, if they're actually, middle, so at least you can play. But again, like you if, can play if it's not an all-star team, or you're going, if you're doing like first-team All-Americans, then yeah, they are picking positions. This isn't necessarily position-based choices, right? Obviously, it's not. Yeah, obviously. Well, in which case, you should just have all outside hitters, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> just have twelve. I don't even know what setters are doing. In there. What do they do? That's why setters play for twenty-five years internationally. All they do is. Eh, I you wish know. people could have seen your hand gesture right there. Float surf. Look, I float surf. Half block. Turn around. Yell help. <laughs> the ball's not passed perfectly. Help! I would say of all the balls you put away, 80% of them came from the setter. Didn't matter who set me. I put the ball away. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I beg you different, Kevin. I remember yelling at my setter. What an idiot. <laughs> Not the setter, me. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, you uh, thought it was the setter's fault, so that's why you yelled at them. Yes. What an idiot. Mm-hmm. We have Chris McGowan at BYU. He's going to join us. We'll have Vinny. Uh, not Sorry, we'll have uh, Jay and Robbie. Jay Hasek. Jay Hasek and Robbie. They will come on College Volleyball Weekly and update us. Um, maybe we'll play a little Vinny at some point here. He's got some videos up. We'll have him break it down for us a little bit. Break it down. And the beach. Just about underway. I've run into some beach players. Saw Emily Day out running some 440s at Miracosta High School. Yep. Caught her at the end. 
Hey, Emily. She had no idea who you were. I did not try to give her a high fiver. A la Jen Kessie. Also known as the Jen Kessie. <laughs> <laughs> I did not try and Kessie her. <laughs> Even though she's been on this show. She's been on the show. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. She, she hates you. How could she hate me? I don't know. Just sound She's it. not Sean just, Scott. Just felt right. Sean yeah, Scott, Scott hates me. Yeah. yeah, Sean Scott does hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. I don't know what I did. We'll have an update, too. Are we still uh, working on Waniata? We are. All right. We're working on having Waniata in here to talk about the D3 championship that we kind of detailed for you last week. Yep. Stevens and Baruch. Baruch. Yes. Jay says Vinny should call in and join College Volleyball Weekly. Vinny said he's free this afternoon. Right on. Vinny, you're in. What time? 11 p.m.? <laughs> yeah. 11 p.m., Jeremy. 11, DJ hours. 11 a.m., I apologize. <laughs> that would be West Coast time, 11 a.m.? Yes, 11 a.m. West Coast time. 2 o'clock your time. That would be 7 p.m. Midwest. At 11 p.m., I will still be awake. <laughs> Just in case anybody's wondering. You'll be working tonight. Clippers. Game should be over by that. That game better be over by 11 p.m. I'm going to tell you that right now. It better be over by the end of the first, first half if you're a Clipper fan. I agree. Went down to Golden State. The refs really were in charge of that game, Kevin. And not necessarily like hosing the Clippers. Like both teams had to deal with it. But the refs yeah. were in charge of that game because I'm sure the NBA have noticed that those teams don't like each other and there have been some pushing sure and shoving not. and some ejections. Oh, well. So the refs, anytime somebody touched somebody else, they were like, you know what, we're going to call that a foul so there's no fight. <laughs> so you don't punch each other. So Blake Griffin basically didn't play the entire game. Didn't he get accused of flopping? Yeah. So, yeah. Does he flop? There have been times where he's flopped, yeah. Okay. What's the equivalent in volleyball to flopping? The why didn't touch the ball? Whining to the ref about never touching. Yeah. I didn't touch it! You're walking back to the back line to serve. The other team's yelling at you, and you're just blatantly (laughs) ignoring them. Your finger's dislocated, and you didn't touch it? Yeah. (laughs) Nope, wasn't me. Yeah. Finger all sideways. (laughs) Now, that might be the equivalent. It's tolerated, though. Flopping, for some reason... Not appreciated. Well, then the volleyball equivalent of the referees was the, the overzealous referee at the club tournament who tells the kids they can't put a toe onto the sport court off the end of the... We've been... Simmer down, ref. It, there's a lot of... Simmer down. ...bad refereeing happening, but they're really big on the procedurals. Like, when you go to switch sides, your kids can't grab their water bottles before they switch to the other side. They have to switch to the other side, then go back and get their water bottles, and then come back, because they have to go around. That stuff's got to go. You want to know what it's I would ridiculous. say to the ref? Suck it. That's what I would <laughs> the say. The protocol of volleyball is absurd. Stupid. This, the thing, I know you can't see it, <laughs> but the referee puts up. Katie and I got it. Puts up two <laughs> fingers at the end of a set and does this. Yeah. Hand, left hand behind, right hand around, right? To, yeah. wa- to wave the teams around. Oh, wait a minute. I never would have known. Go ahead. <laughs> never would have. Why don't you go to the sidelines and switch sides? In basketball, end of a quarter. Everyone to the middle, cross sign. Okay, everyone has to go to the far side of the court and run around NBA, the baseline. NBA players would freak out if they had to switch. <laughs> That's how dumb it is. Like, do it in other sports. How stupid is that? First of all, where's the place that they have paddles? That's internationally. See that? Yeah. Whoa. yeah, but then you don't have the opportunity to, like, stomp on a paddle. <laughs> but it's like me, like, having... I had an issue in school when I had to ask the teacher to go to the restroom. You need a hall pass. <laughs> like, if I have to go to the restroom, I'm going. So I, I shouldn't... Like, give me the hall pass. Like, I'll be respectful and be like, I won't do it in the middle of your speech. I just need to go, but I don't need to ask your permission to use the restroom. I am going I have to, to go, and I'm going. I am going to steal the key to a restroom at the next gas station I go to. 
Just because? Because they attach a hubcap to it. <laughs> As though I can't walk in my car with the hubcap and the key, throw it in my trunk, and drive off. And by the way, and as a guy... <laughs> There's only so much I can hold at one time while I'm using the restroom. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you're, so you're trying to hold it, and the thing is, the hubcap is swinging below. That's what I'm saying. Like there's all kinds of, there's all kinds. You're of hitting wrong. the hubcap; it's splashing backwards. No. Things <laughs> women don't have to deal with. Got it. That's what I'm saying, Katie. That's what I'm saying. This is how this is how dumb the protocol is in volleyball. Like apply it to other sports. NFL. End of the half. Don't run off the field. Everyone on the sidelines. Referee in the middle of the field does a whirly gig, goes into a tornado. Both teams run around the end zones, onto the other side, then go to the locker room. Oh, yeah. Stupid. Well, I said, the, and the referees fully stop play if your kids step onto the sport court that are sitting on the bench. Even on the corner, they have to stand off the corner. Of, so if they step wait, on the referee, like, whoa, 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 stop before your server can go. Simmer down, back up. Now, wait, in juniors, down. wouldn't you have to have more controls? Because basically you're dealing with untamed house cats, right? <laughs> A bunch of hams and cheeses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aren't you dealing with people who it'd be complete mayhem if you didn't, plus the parents are psycho, right? Yeah. Well, so, no, they're not too bad. They, I mean, there's always a couple of cases. Like, there was a <laughs> – in Spokane at the 13th tournament, there was a parent who punched out a referee. Oh, my God. And got, a, got arrested for assault. So Welcome to 13th volleyball. with some parent from Texas. Playing. Why am I not shocked? Yeah, I know. Not in the little, not How the do you slightest. explain that to your kids? That you just punched the ref out? Yeah. Oh, what? First of all, you ever gotten punched in the face? It does not feel good. And the ref that he punched was like 65 years old. Some like older gentleman who was there. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a crippled woman. <laughs> we were really on a slide down. <laughs> My God. Right. But there was, the, the stuff is ridiculous. Like you're, There's only three feet of space between the two courts when they're set up. And of course, the benches are on the side, but there's only three feet of space. So if your kids stand off the end of the benches... They're basically standing on everybody's backpacks and hoping to be on the court. So if they, a lot of them will just stand where their feet are just along the edge of the court, and the referee will stop play well, and they need before to they serve. See, probably. Some of them probably right. can't see because the bench is so far away, and there's 36 kids on the bench. Correct. And so if a server's in their vicinity, they have to, like, the referee will stop them, tell everybody to step back a step. I have, I have a lot more sympathy for referees in the junior world. Yes. You're dealing with some, some issues. Too many parents, too many kids. First of all, kids. But by the time you get to a college match. Or high school, for that matter. Or high school. Yeah. A, a regular high school match. Yeah. Where there's defined zones. You're not in some club format. And a professional match, indeed. Really? With the protocol? Really? And the referees internationally are not afraid to, like, seize the protocol. I will hold the protocol. <laughs> and they're doing it because they're being told by the FIVB. Mm-hmm. But the FIVB is really about the protocol. They love it. Let's do more protocol. No, let's have a good product. Yeah. Enough with this that's my crap. Problem. So that's what we were joking. You said you can always tell on the first day of a tournament whatever the referee assigner told them to pay attention to. Absolutely. Because you that's, know it. Oh, yeah. True international yeah, yeah. They're stopping. You're like, really? Like, yeah. how about you just worry about calling the lifts and double contacts? Maybe a little bit of the actual game? Yeah, Maybe but not so much about wherever people are standing on the bench. <laughs> how bad is the game when they're actually told to focus on the lifts and double contacts? Oh, my God. The junior level. Every other call. Lift. Lift. Even in a college match, if they're really calling that tight from, like, the offsetters, it's terrible. <laughs> let people play. This gets back to let them play Larry. Let them play. One of the refs. Let them play Larry. Do it, man. Let them play. As long as it's fair for both sides, let's play. 
And anybody who's complaining to me, I've said on the show before, anybody complaining to me about, well, back in the old days, that would have been cold. You couldn't, you can't carry a ball like that. I love when Kevin does. I know. His impressions are spectacular. Yeah, awesome. It's, nobody can see the hand motions or the facial expressions yeah. that go with it either, which is really the best part of <laughs> you it. you got to go 100%. Right. But I'm sick of that. Oh, it used to be it, it's the purity of the game. Oh, shut the hell up. Yeah, that drives me crazy, too. Shut the hell up. It'd be a lot better if the whistle blew less and there was more playing. Right. That's better. Well, we had... And maybe some fighting. Yes, contact would be good. <laughs> we got to be on the receiving end of the overzealous coaching down ref this weekend. Ooh. His team just lost. They were done. Uh-oh. And Uh-oh. he got really feisty with both teams during, like... How old? We cremated the team the first game, so we added a second libero for the second game. How old were the kids you were with this weekend? 17s! <laughs> this weekend was 17. So this referee comes up to us. He's like, procedurally, you can't declare two liberos in the second game if you didn't declare two in the first game. I said, you can. You just can't switch them in the middle of a game or add one in the middle of a game. In the match, between games, you can add another libero. And the guy like went ballistic on us. <laughs> we were like, okay, You're we'll like, let her change back into her other jersey and we'll just down. sub her in. Like... Her down. <laughs> it was one of those things where we're all looking at each other, and the other team's coach is like, what is he talking about? <laughs> What's happening We're all right like, now? standing on the bench staring at each other like, what is going on right now? Coach, hello. I don't want the screen called either. I don't want that called either. I'm, I'm done with the screen call. What are we talking about? Where the front blockers will stand in front of the line between the server and the receiver. So the receiver can't see the server. Oh, gotcha. I don't care. How about some strategy? You're actually out of position if you're doing it. How about some strategy in this game? Can you run a pick in basketball? Can you run a screen in basketball? Yeah. It's kind of cool. People will do it. It's different. It's a play. It's a choice. Do you do it or not? Volleyball, they like to take all the choices out. Let's eliminate all the choices about what we have as far as random strategy. And let's just focus on you have to do it this way. And the only way to win is to do it that way perfectly, not come up with some creative way to win. Yeah. The rally clock, the serve clock back in the day. Yeah. On the beach. Yeah. Hmm. They, had a, they had a rally clock. Oh, I know. Scores and people like 5-2. At the end, they would serve a sky ball. You only have three seconds to go? Yeah. Sky ball. Boom. Here you go. I like it. Yeah. Waste time. <laughs> I want a serve clock. Enough with the wiping the floor. Go back to carrying the towels. We did that years ago. <laughs> Go back to carrying the towels you want, or have the, just like tennis, you don't see tennis getting delayed because a tennis ball is bouncing across the floor. It doesn't happen. That's true. That kid is paid to bust his ass. Yeah. He's on it. That ball hits the net, you, that kid is shot out of a cannon. <laughs> That's half the fun of watching tennis, especially Wimbledon. Yeah. People like spread out of the court. Look, Kramer's good at it. Remember the episode Kramer was, was shagging for the U.S. Open? Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Get the kids on it. Get them next to the scorer's table. Boom. Someone hits the deck. They're on it. We've got a, I don't know, 20-second serve clock. You want to get back and serve really fast? You want to serve like five seconds into the clock? It's like eight. Get the ball. Everybody's on the court. You go serve. serve. Technically, you have eight seconds from the time the referee blows the whistle. But the referee takes forever to blow his whistle sometimes. <laughs> and then you have, you have this one. Uh, it's wet here on the floor. It's wet. Dangerous. And I agree it's the, dangerous. The, it's called the kid strategy. strategically ties their shoes in the middle of a... It's called strategy. <laughs> I understand. But there's no, there's no way to counteract that. There's no yeah. way to push the pace of the game. There's no well, way to slow the game. There's a way to slow the game down. There's no way to push the pace of the game. We you can't do it told, both ways. Our coach was like, if you're the server, 
and you got an ace, or we got the point. You run back. The rest of the team can celebrate, but the server was headed to the line, so you were back there waiting with the ball, and the referee would blow the whistle. The you ref- move them a little bit. You have to have the right referee, but the referee will wait for the other team. Technically, they're supposed to wait for the other team to be ready. Yeah, it's not ace. No, it's not. But we could we could add some some level of manipulation to the game. Well, sometimes pacing is part of your strategy. Yeah. I have a I have somebody you may not have talked to in a while on the on the line. Huh? Just wait for it. Reed? Hi guys. And ladies. How's it going? Lady. Lady. Gentlemen, <laughs> Katie. Hi, Reed. And lady. <laughs> Hi, Reed. Way, to be, way to be politically correct this morning. <laughs> lady. How's practice? So, man, you guys are just spitting some truth this morning, aren't you? <laughs> Happy Easter, by the way. You too. Happy Easter to you. See, if you shut up this morning, you had a bag full of candy waiting for you. Not too late, Reed. Uh, we'll talk about me and the wife trying to ruin Easter after this. But... Yeah. So, Reed, you want to get rid of the yeah. paddles? You want to get, get rid of the protocol? Oh, yeah. We're just sort of caught in between... A gentleman's game and like a a sport, you know. It's just really concerned about you know you know my stance. Our listeners do too. You know we we're so concerned about the uh, length of our shorts. Make <laughs> yeah. sure they me- measure up to Italian TV standards. And uh, they like the quads yeah. in Italy. They love the quads. I you know what other sport makes their their reserve players stand up for two and a half hours? in like a little confined box with no That's chance to thing. stay warm. Yeah, uh, no bikes, no nothing. Right. It's And I'm totally with you guys on the – it's amazing that the the further down you go, you know, if we start at the international game, you, you trickle on down to the the pro, the the college, to the junior level, it, it, it becomes a more pure game somehow, and the rest – call it as such and uh it's just not good I, i've seen plenty of college matches this year and um it, it all starts from the parents i think the parents really um is what we need to uh really educate on the real rules of the game to uh to free up the refs because you know somebody will hand set a ball and you'll hear the the opposing team's parents go oh that's terrible <laughs> Followed by uh, a whistle blow. So yeah, I'm I'm right there with you guys. Now, do you think it's just because all these protocols are just because that's just what it's been for so long? They're like, oh, that's just how we're gonna do it because that's how we've been doing it forever, or there's real reason for it? Well, I, I think a lot of it too. I mean, like if you look at a lot of the co- uh, the college referees, they're like old school diehard beach referees. Been been on the beach forever, yeah, so. Yeah. I think it's hard for them to turn it off, and when they start to see a little rotation, then they're just like, well, hey, there's no wind in here. That ball should not be rotating. So, Sorry, Kevin is – I don't know what's happening in Kevin's house right now with all the music in the background. It's a construction site. Somebody's calling his fax line, ringing the doorbell. It's weird. My pager just went off. <laughs> is that what that is? Wait a second. You got a pager? <laughs> Talking about keeping things pure. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> keeping them current. Hey, man, you know this broadcasting thing—you got to supplement with a little drug dealing. <laughs> Nobody used a pager anymore. So read pretty. 
World League coming up not far off. How many people are back in this gym? We actually have enough to, to play some version of a volleyball game, which is fun. Nice. Uh, I'm, I'm en route right now. I, I lifted this morning and, and en route to, uh, to Anaheim, and guys are just trickling in. I was, while I was eating breakfast, uh, my son and I were catching a little bit of the Turkish final that's going on. So there's a few teams still out there still uh, trying to win a title. So some guys are still uh, going to be late coming, but I think, you know, every day we'll sort of add, uh, we'll grow in numbers. So it's uh, we're, we're right around the corner from putting on a jersey and uh, dealing with protocol. Awesome. Well, hey, we got to go. We got Chris McGowan coming up here on the show, Reader. All right. Tell Chris I said hi. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Reed Pretty checking in from the car. I'm excited for World League. Uh, me too. I'm pumped up. I'm, I'm excited to call some international volleyball, see the guys. It's going to be a very interesting season, uh, no doubt, as far as what happens with that roster. I was talking the other day with somebody about it, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. There's some opposite questions. There's some outside hitter questions. Middle, pretty good. Setter, questions, but lots of talent. So. Let's get to a, a guy who joined us back in Seattle last time. It was preseason the last time we spoke to this guy. He was just about to get things underway. He was bringing his team back right after Christmas, a couple of days to start the season. And the season has gone well. Chris McGowan is the head coach for the BYU Cougar men. They have been ranked number one in the MPSF for some time now. They will host the Final Four, the MPSF Tournament, coming up this week. Please welcome back to the Net Live, Chris McGowan. Chris. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, thanks for taking the time to, to call in today. I know you guys must be busy coming off of your uh, what, quarterfinal win and now going to be headed off to the semis. Tell us about the match with USC. It looked like one you guys dominated quite well. You know, I thought that was one of the best matches that we put together all season. We uh, we played well in virtually all facets of the game. I thought kind of the strength um, was in serve and serve-receive, and when you do that at a high level, uh, if you're taking care of business there, you know, the rest of the match uh, becomes a lot easier. And uh, I thought we were great there. And then, uh, you know, just offensively, I thought we made a bunch of really smart swings and then, uh, you know, had the chance to play defense behind a good block. And so, um, like I said, I just I was really, really impressed with the way the guys put it, put it all together. Now you guys hit 519 to just 211 for USC. What was the game plan against USC? Uh, you know, we wanted to serve into some specific areas, and that, I think, kind of got us started. Um, you know, we saw that they... Um, you know, that their passing numbers were pretty different based on, you know, where, you know, individually maybe, you know, you'd see a passer that was passing at a certain number, but as soon as, as soon as he got into a certain spot, those numbers dropped. And so we were trying to serve into those areas a little bit more. And then, um, and then the, you know, I thought we had a pretty good beat on what they were trying to do just offensively and where their guys, you know, their patterns and tendencies were. Um, but I think it all, you know, was springboarded by the fact that we served really well, got them out of system a lot, and uh, they were having to take a lot of really tough swings, 
and uh, you know any team's going to struggle uh, like that, and then just uh, you know we're, we our block kind of got going a little bit, and uh, you know we made them do some things, and so more than anything, I think just um, and. Taylor had one of his best nights uh, from the service line too. He just he had it dialed in and he was getting after it, and so that was big. Yeah, twelve blocks to just two for USC. That's a decided advantage for you guys. You pretty much took over this match, but you had some real questions coming into this USC match. You guys had been losers of four in a row: two at Hawaii, one at Santa Barbara, and then one against UCLA. What was the mindset of your team with those four losses entering the playoffs? You know, it was a question mark, and, uh, you know, I was really, really encouraged to see the guys respond the way they did. Um, the practices leading up to this week had been, um, you know, some of them had been pretty good, and then some of them had been a, a little distracted. You know, we're right in the middle of finals, and so that's uh, that's always tough because the guys have got um, a lot on their mind in terms of school and then trying to get it turned around, you know, when it comes time to practice, to dial into that and practice at a real high level, it's uh, it's a lot to ask. But, um you know, we looked at those matches and just, uh, you know, we were on the road in Hawaii, which is a tough environment. They had some great crowds while we were there, and they were they were a really good team. And, uh, you know, lost a close five-set match um, after being in control early and then them kind of coming back and then lost a match where they kind of ran us the next night um, after losing, a, I think it was a 37-39, 37-35, something like that, uh, set to them in the first, and then they played well the rest of the way out. But we played them on a senior night. We played Santa Barbara on their senior night, and we played UCLA on their senior night. And so it was uh, three senior nights in a row in gyms where those teams play really well. You know, Hawaii plays good at home. Santa Barbara plays great in Rob. And then uh, we played in the Wooden Center at UCLA. And it's just uh, gyms where they're really familiar with the surroundings, and, and they served – really well all three teams and so we kind of tried to have some perspective about it and uh and you know we talked to the guys extensively about the fact that look the body of work that we've put in over the course of the season um is preparing us to play great now and we're here at home we're exactly where we want to be you know if we uh if we could have dreamt of a way the season could have gone i, I wouldn't have dreamt it this well um, you know, we've, we've played great here at home and we've, we've played tough on the road against a lot of really good teams. And, uh, the league is so competitive this year and there's so many good programs, um, that, you know, uh, we talk about the fact that we, we thought that we'd be able to compete well, but to think that we'd be doing what we've done, uh, you know, if somebody would have asked me at the start of the year, I would have just said it's just straight hubris to think mm -hmm. that we'd perform that well. And so, um, you know, we're really happy with uh, with where we were and what we've done. And so, uh, you know, we talked about being prepared and and uh, having practiced well and having trained well all season long, and now it was time to be back at home and put it together. And uh, you know, the way the guys came out was great. You mentioned some of those places that you've played and on the nights that you played, and I think about Smith Fieldhouse, and that's one of the more challenging places to play. People always say that that's a pretty intimidating environment. What is it about that place that's good for you guys? Well, I think the biggest issue, um, and one that we can't discount, is just the altitude difference. And so, you know, when you're down in Rob, when you're in Hawaii, um, those places are right next to the ocean, you know, and so the, the ball flies differently. It really does. And it's a server's gym in those gyms. And uh, in here, 
you, you need a little bit more finesse. You can't just go beat the ball with some spin and, and imagine that it'll, it'll, you know, find the court. And, uh, and so we're dialed into those dynamics and those trajectories and it takes teams a little, a little while, I think, to kind of figure that out. And so, uh, teams that maybe could go beat some serves can't, uh, necessarily. And so that's the biggest, uh, issue, at least in terms of just, you know, raw performance. And then our crowd is amazing and we've got, you know, fans that are right down on the floor and, uh, and it gets loud and there's this amazing energy in the gym, you know, and our team feeds off that. And, uh, you know, having been on the kind of receiving end of some of those other away crowds, you know, you notice a difference when a team, when the when the crowd is in your favor and when the crowd is uh, is against you. What is it about the community there at BYU that's gotten them so behind the sport of volleyball? You know, it's uh, I can't put a finger on it exactly. You know, I think that. Uh, there's the combination of long-term success that the program, I think, um, is you know built a following over over the years just because of the success that we've had, and so you know people like us from that perspective. I think the other thing is that uh, we're really accessible as a sport, and our players are really good guys. And uh, you know after a match, you know anybody can come down on the floor and talk to our guys and take pictures and you know. And, it, and they'll be there as long as there are fans there. And it's just, it's unlike any other sport. You know, you don't get to go down onto the field and talk to the football players or go down onto the court and talk to the basketball players. Those guys go in the tunnel and that's that. And, uh, you know, with our sport, it's it's really accessible. And it's, it, you know, there there isn't um, this line between fan and player that I think exists so much in other sports. And so, um, you know, that we've been able to build these relationships with people and uh, and there's, I think, an intimacy and a closeness that happens that, that doesn't happen in other, um, you know, big men's sports. Are your kids pretty active about promoting their sport and attendance to the matches on campus? You know, they, I think in the past we've had them do all sorts of crazy things, you know, and more than anything it's just uh, we tell them, you know, just understand that, that uh, you know, fans are watching you, that the students are watching you, that the people out in the community are watching you. And uh, when you're out in the community and when you're out amongst the student body, just, you know, be great guys. Just a lot of smiles, a lot of thanks for coming, a lot of, you know, just uh, humility and gratitude. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think that'll, that'll win fans over maybe even more than kind of peddling, you know, come to the volleyball match, that sort of thing. Just, you know, be these great representatives of the program. And uh, the guys have really taken to that. And they're, honestly, we've got really, really quality guys here in the program and at BYU. And it's, uh, I think the fans identify with that and see that and are drawn to the boys. You're listening to Net Live. We're talking to Chris McGowan, head coach for the BYU men. They will host the MPSF semifinals and championship coming up April 24th. That's Thursday. And then the championship will be held on Saturday, it looks like, here inside Smith Fieldhouse. And, uh, Chris, some questions about your team. We talked about that four-match skid, but a lot of that may have been due to the setting situation. How much has that factored in? Tyler Keep has not played Robbie Sutton, now the starter. Yeah, Tyler sprained his ankle uh, pretty badly against UCLA in the second set uh, of our last regular season match. And uh, those guys have been going at it all season long for the starting job. Robbie's been challenging Tyler the whole time. And uh, the way we structure our practices and the way we structure um, just the environment in our gym is that we don't have an A team and a B team. We don't have a starting 
you know, six and, uh, and the rest of the guys, we mix up practice every single day so that, um, you know, all the guys are playing with and against everybody else in the program. Um, virtually every day it's a new matchup. And so um, we like to think that that fosters this really competitive environment in our gym. But the other thing that it does is it gets the backups used to playing with, um, with you know, these various guys that are, uh, you know, that have won the starting jobs. And so for, you know, somebody to come off the bench and step in and play really well isn't an, entirely a surprise to us because these guys have been going at it all year and they're comfortable with the players that are on the floor and uh, kind of know where they want to set them and know where they want to uh, give them the ball. And so, uh, but at the same time, you know, for Robbie to have come in and play with the poise and the confidence that he played with was uh, was this wonderful. Uh, I don't know that it's a surprise exactly, but it, it was really, really uh, fun to see. You guys have a pretty fun team to watch, and Taylor Sander, of, of course, one of the best players in college volleyball today. And how has Taylor performed this year as far as off-the-floor stuff? We see the stats, but we wonder what kind of teammate he is. You know, that's where I think he's made the biggest gains, Um over the course of his time here at BYU um, is in that kind of stuff, in the leadership area, in influencing teammates. And we've, you know, had a lot of, um, a lot of work with him. Our whole staff has worked, you know, quite a bit with uh, that aspect of um, him as a volleyball player and as an athlete and just understanding that with, uh, you know, this, um, amazing physical gift that he's been given comes a lot of responsibility in terms of leadership and just through just plain default when you're when you're the best player in the gym you can't you know be that guy in a vacuum that that you're going to set the pace you're going to you're going to create the culture of the gym because you're the best player and uh and and if it's a great culture then great things will follow and if you're creating this poor culture, then um, it's going to be really tough. And so getting him to understand that and then uh, fill that role in a way that's productive has been one of our biggest jobs. And one where I think, you know, like I said, I think he's made the biggest gains and he's he's come to understand that and come to um, embrace practice as a time to, to get better and to work as hard as he possibly can. And, you know, when he's out there, you know, he understands nobody gets to beat you when it's time to run sprints. Nobody gets to outwork you in practice. Nobody gets to, uh, you know, dial in more than you do. You're, you're going to be the guy that's going to, you know, lead us out in all those areas, and, and, uh, and he's really worked hard to do that, and it's been great to see. Who's in his ear with that information? You have a tremendous amount of experience on your staff. Of course, your father, Carl, and also Mike Wilton, uh, and uh, not to mention Rob Nielsen and his his abilities, but you have a, a really nice staff. Is it one guy that you've assigned to him, or does everyone talk to him at different points, or how do you divide that up when you're dealing with a star player? You know, everybody gets to uh, have a little bit of input with him. I'd say probably the responsibility for most of that's fallen on me. Just, uh, you know, and, and again, whether you like it or not, when you're the head coach, some things kind of fall to you, you know, and, uh, and because people are looking at you because you're the head coach. And so um, most of it's been with me, but, you know, Dad has kind of been the the godfather, you know, kind of talking me through a lot of the things. Um, hey, I, you know, you ought to think about this. and Hey, you ought to think about that. And, uh, you know, you might have these conversations with Taylor about this and that. And uh, and Mike, too, you know, has given me his thoughts along the way, as, as Rob, you know. And so it's been this kind of group effort 
to help me know how to how to have these conversations and what conversations to have. All right, in the semifinals, you guys get UC Santa Barbara. Tell me about the matchup with the Gauchos. They're a real physical team, you know, and I think they have a great setting. They've got really good middles. Um, they pass well. And at home, I think the biggest advantage was that they served really, really well. Um, we played them pretty good when we played them here in the field house. Uh, took it to five, though. And uh, they find ways to scrap. And so, you know, we're expecting another battle. They're, they're a really quality team that does things good across the board. I don't think they have any kind of glaring weaknesses where you can match up easily or ignore a hitter uh, in certain rotations. Um, you know, I think if, they, if you try and do that, they exploit that. And, uh, and so we're just going to have to kind of get back to playing good principled fundamental volleyball you know the entire time and just uh, understand that we're going to have to battle and uh, understand that they're going to make some great plays and uh, keep trying to just stay with it the whole time how does it affect the match that you guys played on march 28th at your place and then april 11th at uc santa barbara you have seen each other so often in the in the recent month that how does that affect this matchup that third matchup you know it's uh it's interesting just you know, you figure um, over the course of a season you're going to play these guys, um, you know, three times, um, you know, twice during the regular season, maybe once in the playoffs, and maybe even four times if you head out to the Santa Barbara tournament, maybe you get matched up with them. And so um, it was, a, I don't know, one of the kind of quirks in the scheduling uh, where we played them, uh, you know, one week and then it was a week off and then we played them again the next week. So, you know, twice in three weeks. Um, to see him again so quickly, you know, I think it's probably, you know, the same advantage for both teams and that, you know, the, we're pretty fresh in their memory. They're pretty fresh in ours. And, uh, and so once again, I think it just comes down to, to being able to execute and being able to kind of keep some poise and, um, and just play hard. Definitely kudos around for your university from a lot of our fans about the coverage on BYU TV and the option to tune in and see your matches. Uh, BYU TV, how big is that for your university and how much of a push has it been to get BYU sports exposed on the Internet? You know, uh, somewhere along the line, the leadership in the university and at the higher levels of the church that sponsors the university um, – decided that that was going to be a big deal, that they wanted to, you know, funnel resources, uh, you know, financial and uh, personnel-wise into television. And so they wanted a presence um, just for BYU, um, you know, without sports on cable TV and just, uh, you know, packages that were offered. And they felt like they could offer a programming group that was family-friendly, that sort of thing, and an attractive option to these uh, cable operators and to, you know, uh, you know, DISH and DirecTV, that sort of thing, satellite providers. And so we're kind of the happy passengers on that uh, push, just, you know, hey, we've got all this programming that we want to put out, and it just so happens that we have an athletics department and the resources to broadcast um, those matches. And so um, men's volleyball has been really uh, a well-received sport. When they broadcast it, they get good viewership and, uh, and a lot of positive feedback. And uh, it's been huge for us, um, I think, just in terms of, like you say, building the culture around the program and then just recruiting and recognition of our sport and of our program. Uh, you know, I've talked to people 
all over the world, uh, really, that will say, hey, we saw you. You know, you were playing a match here, and we, and we got to tune in. And we, you were playing a match, and we saw you online. And uh, it's just uh, it's been wonderful, I think, exposure for the sport and for our team. Can you encourage them to also show the Pepperdine and Stanford match? <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, last year um, they they volunteered to broadcast a bunch of matches. Uh, they wanted to broadcast the NC2A semifinal, and uh, I think they ran into some issues with the NC2A. The NC2A wanted to capture that uh, on their website and wanted that traffic driven there as opposed to, uh, you know, taking it somewhere else on TV. But, uh, you know, I'll talk to them. I'll see what they'll do. <laughs> they certainly like uh, the programming content. And, you know, volleyball, um, and I think they do a good job. I think our our announcers are good. I think they're, you know, they they uh, they don't, you know, it's so often I think that non-volleyball people, uh, you know, botch that. They don't have the same language. They don't understand the calls. They don't know the rhythm of the game. And uh, I think the guys that do it for us uh, do a really, really good job. And so people that are, you know, the cognoscenti of volleyball actually like what happens with these broadcasts because they feel like, you know, they do, a, they do a pretty good job representing the sport and talking intelligently about it. So that part's been good, too. Well, it's good to have them on there. It's good to see the tournament in a place where it will get some attention and have a whole bunch of fan support. We just want people exposed to the sport. April 24th, that's Thursday night, you're going to see Pepperdine and Stanford facing off at 5 p.m. Mountain, followed by BYU and UC Santa Barbara at 8. And the championship match will be April 26th in Smithfield House at 7 p.m. That's, again, Mountain Time. And you can check out the at least the BYU match on BYU TV. Chris McGowan, thanks again for sitting in with us for a little while, and good luck this week. My pleasure. Thanks again, guys. All right. Chris McGowan, checking out from uh, Provo. Good for volleyball. And I've heard some people say about the BYU announcers, they're the home announcers. It's like an NBA team, you know. Uh, they're festive. They're homers. <laughs> they, yeah. It, and that's what you're supposed to Chris do, Chris right? Marlowe works for the Nuggets. He's a That's homer. who pays his paycheck. Yeah, the Nuggets. Yeah. So you call it like you're a Nuggets announcer. And BYU, same thing. So don't don't complain about BYU TV. That's who pays their paycheck. We'll just be happy that volleyball's on TV. Yeah, that it's on. Well, they're going to get help from the line judges anyway, so you're probably going to be... Hey-o. Hey-o. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't break that one up today. Every <laughs> time we talk to BYU, it's always got to bring up the line judges of the religion. So I let that those on slide today. And uh, I was looking at Focus their, on the volleyball. While you are talking to them, I was looking at their schedule. And I remember you saying it, but it didn't really dawn on me until I was looking at it. They lost their last three matches going into the tournament. Four. Four right. matches. Yeah. That's gnarly. Lost two losses to Hawaii. And then smashed USC. Mm-hmm. Smashed them. <laughs> that was a smooshing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, well, and you're right. BYU TV is one of the best online broadcasts I've ever seen. High you could stream it to your TV and you'd be happy. Everything's spectacular. Yeah. Online broadcast period. Yeah, you can watch it. I mean, no, but I mean just period. It's great. Nice. The quality of it's, it's really great. nice. Yeah, because sometimes you get a feed but from somewhere down. and it's... Uh, yeah. yeah, pauses. Yeah, of course. Pepperdines look good, too. And actually, my boys and I sat here and watched a little bit. Jeremy, I watched something that, that you should watch if you haven't already. Should, oh I just say, I'm a, should I just say drink now? I'm curious. I have, say. and I like to do this for people, yeah. I have a movie recommendation. Oh, oh boy. No. I'm just l- listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be... You're going to be embarrassed for yourself when I give you this recommendation. Okay. Because you should have seen this film. Well, yeah. should have. You would enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> it's a documentary. Yeah. It is not Court and Spark. 
But you have seen I that have one seen now. That, and I own it. And you enjoyed that one. Yep. Artifact. Seen it. Ah, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 30 Seconds to Mars. Yes. The band with the famous actors, their lead singer, Jerry Jared Leto. Leto. Um, they were doing a documentary on the making of their second album. Correct. Which then turned into the documentary on the record label suing them for $30 million. EMI. $30 million. You owe us $30 million as a band. What was the reason for that? Um, breach of contract. Interesting. They wanted out of their contract. And a lot of the explanations inside the film of how studio contracts work, you look at it and go, what? <laughs> Listen, like, the, <laughs> what? Is unreasonable. the record industry is built on taking advantage of the artist, or definitely was in the past, for right. sure. Um, and depending on how much clout or leverage you have, it's really going to depend on how good of a deal you get. Exactly. Um, but even the good deals aren't that great. Correct. And obviously, the record industry is in it to make money, for sure. But a lot of the contract stuff I've seen and been offered or heard other people sign, like, they basically own you. Yeah. The record label was trying to say what I found funny during that documentary was Jared Leto was just goofing around on the piano. Yeah. And Great the record team. label was basically saying, like, Anything you come up they with, own right. that music, that he was just diddling on the uh, piano. That is owning you. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, we own that. You can't play that in the movie. You can't right. play that anywhere. You can't sell that without us owning it. Right. That's what they were trying to say. It's pretty gnarly. It's a good one. Honestly, I was expecting you to say Blackfish when you were talking about documentaries. Saw that, Have too. you seen that one? I haven't seen Blackfish yet. Don't I saw part kids. of it on don't CNN. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't show your kids. Okay. <laughs> That's on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, the, it's on Netflix. The kids set in for Artifact. Yeah. And lots of F words. They they like that. They like when the F bomb gets dropped. They think That's it's funny. funny. Well, they should just listen to this show. So, <laughs> so check it out. It is on iTunes. I rented it. Yep. Good, good program there. I, I was actually down to my last day or two days. Because I rented it, and I rent stuff to kill time on the planes. And I was going to watch it, and I realized, wait a minute. The wife's a musical person. She would like to watch this. She's a so I was waiting and waiting. <laughs> Loves music. Yeah. I was waiting and waiting until we finally got a chance to watch it. Uh, good stuff from Chester Bennington in that. Head, lead singer from Lincoln Park. Yep. Works out at my gym. Nice. I'm going to race him. Got a Jaguar F type. I'm gonna race say, it with like my a, STI. A foot race? But it was funny to hear him hear him just say, I, "I don't think there's ever been a recording contract that hasn't screwed the artist or something like that." I don't know if it's, it's him true. or somebody else. But. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's the way that they're structured. You, especially back in the day, as an artist, you didn't have any leverage because basically the record label was paying you to do everything. Like they were promoting you everything. But in today's world. Record labels don't really sign you unless you already have a following. That was what they were saying. So you've already they're not done, developing anything. No, no, you've already done most of the work. Right. They offloaded the development work and the cost there, right. but maintained all the profit on the backside. So back in the day when you would make most of your money on tours and merchandise, record labels are now doing what they call 360 deals. So right. they're getting a, they're literally getting a piece of everything. everything. Well, you got to pay those Ticketmaster fees somehow. Well, there has Ticket to be Master, some kind of like, Ticketmaster is... I'm so angry with Ticketmaster. Oh, I hate that company. I'll never buy anything through them, so... It's another legacy company, because they talked about in the movie that this is a system left over from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. When that was the only distribution channel. There's no other way to get anything out because it costs so much money to record, first of all, but then also to distribute. The equipment involved was insane. Nowadays, you and I can do it right after the show. A couple I, extra pieces of equipment... I have that can happen. The remix that I played on the show last week, my buddy and I, we did it in his house and my house. Yeah. Mastered it and put it online for free. Didn't right. need anybody else. No, well, you, you don't need anybody else. 
with but, the change in intellectual property laws, you would think that there has to be something that they can use. A contract, a contract. Because, I mean, yeah, but there has to be some way to argue through the intellectual property rights that things will change. I mean, the record with, industry yeah. is changing, and the reason why they're doing those 360 deals is because they don't can't make money any other mm-hmm. way. Right. So something is going to change if they can make money, just not as much money. Well, like correct. The, Ticketmaster now. Ticketmaster used to have built and maintained the system upon which the tickets were distributed, correct? That was the only way. You had to go to the record store who had the Ticketmaster machine to then get the tickets from the Ticketmaster. Your construction guy's knocking on the back door. Yeah. All right. Apparently the hot tub's not going in yet. You had to do that before, but you don't have to do that now. My issue... So what, what's with the fees? Double, double the fees, and you don't even do anything. I'm on the Internet. I can buy... Not even they don't charge me to buy a, a Target sofa. Not only the fee, it's the fees... Per ticket. It's not oh, like yeah. I have just one fee for my entire transaction. And it's a percentage of the ticket, Oh, too, my God. It? It's yeah. like Ugh. I bought tickets to a show the other day. Tickets were 20 bucks. I think I ended up paying about two tickets, 20 bucks each. I think I paid like 65 to $68 Good Lord. after buying two tickets for 20 bucks, hmm. which is ridiculous. It's almost more worth going to whatever venue it is and purchasing while you're there because then you don't have the transaction fees when you do them online. Yeah, a lot of places don't do them at the venue anymore. Ugh. I know, which is weird. Well, I came from Ohio. They did them at the venue there. Okay. This is Los Angeles. Different, different, <laughs> different ball game story, out here. Katie. Different story. It's a little different hey, in Los Angeles. I'm still working my way over here. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> Although Ticketmaster is now owned by Live Nation, which that doesn't make any sense no, to you. No, leave a little. Uh, a buddy of mine actually built the ticketing system that Live Nation uses. Um, and the reason why Live Nation and Ticketmaster basically joined forces because Ticketmaster was just tickets. Live Nation also owned the venues. Hmm. So they're like, you can either join us or you're going to be out. We're not using you. Yeah, exactly. Which so, means you can't, can't charge exorbitant fees for our tickets anymore. Correct. Correct. Um, I will now make an executive decision since Kevin's not here and we'll go to break. <laughs> Take a break. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back.
give you a hundred bucks. Forget it. <laughs> had to do was look at the chat board. And it was a hundred bucks? Yep. Duck sauce. Too late. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> hey, there's a good video out there that got posted in one of the old school Facebook sites. It is... Kelly Tennant getting hit in the head with a soccer ball? <laughs> that was good. <laughs> we posted that one. That was excellent. Uh, good job, Kelly Tennant. Very professional. They, people love it when reporters get blasted, but continue. Cause, do you remember the girl who fainted a while back? Physical comedy is the best. Do you remember the reporter who fainted? She yeah. was talking to somebody like in Minnesota, and she just dead away fainted in the middle of an interview, <laughs> and then got back up and resumed the interview. The thing is, that video is going to be around forever. <laughs> That's the tough part. <laughs> There's a good video by Nack Rousselaar, the players there, and that is the, one of the best teams in Belgium. When I was there, it was Rousselaar and Mosaic facing off in the finals all the time. And, of course, Mosaic won. But this is their team now doing some volleyball trick shots, yeah. serving and setting and so on from all over the place, yeah. and spiking, and it's pretty fun. I like it a lot. I'm surprised. I'll, we'll get a post. Courtside reporters don't get blasted more often. That's true. Last year, I guess Anne-Marie Anderson got crushed. Who? And it left her a little shaken through through the rest of the year. She's uh, one of the main announcers for Pac-12 Women's on Pac-12 Network. I'm looking for the World League thing. How, did we not post the World League picture on here? Looking for the weekends here. And, of course, I do. No, we were too busy putting up the bear fix picture. I know. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, let's make it's sure we not often you see a left-handed bear, you know, up to 12 feet spiking the ball. Give uh, BJ Evans credit for uh, posting the Kelly Tennant video. Thank you, BJ. That is correct. <laughs> Sorry. So I give Kelly Tennant credit for here. posting it herself. She put it up. Did she? Yeah. It's a great piece. Well, of it's video. not. It's one of those things like I just it's out there. It's so out it's there. like I'm, if I own it, own it, then I can't. Yeah. This looks like a Gardhoff drawing here. Five keys to better serving. <laughs> it is. It says Gardhoff in the corner. I nailed it. All right. Let's get to uh, our association with an association. Paul Ottman in the Polish finals. Good luck, Paul. Take it home. Take home the championship and the big dough. We'd like to bring you College Volleyball Weekly each week here on the Net Live. The ABCA has been kind enough to get behind it, and we bring in some experts to discuss collegiate volleyball. It's the men's season winding down right now. MPSF heading into semis and finals. I saw something happening in the Midwest. I think it was IPFW taking somebody out. Arnie's Army on to the next round. Ohio Indiana, Purdue, out. Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne, the Dons. They yep. swept Ohio State at home. They did it. So we will have a discussion about it. We will welcome in. We have three guys today. Did he call in? We have three guys. Right on. We have Vinny Lopes from Off the Block sitting in with our two usual suspects, Jay Hosick, who cannot pronounce my home university, <laughs> and Rob Aspero, whose UC Irvine anteaters are out, so he is now no longer contractually obligated to pick one team. Welcome, gentlemen. Hold what? what? There they are. There they are. All three? Expert on today with Vinny Lopes. Vinny, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on, man. Yeah, Vinny. Yeah, it's great to be here. <laughs> hey, I'm just going to get out of the way. Joke. You guys tell me what the heck happened, and I'll, uh, I'll listen in. Where we start? Well, 
Where do you want to start? You want to start out? Let's start in the Midwest. Let's talk about the IPFW match against Ohio State. I believe I called this one last week, and uh, just kind of rubbing it in a little bit if I could. Now, here, here's here's what happened, and it's exactly what uh, you know we we've all been talking about. Ohio State was down a little bit this year. They were rebuilding a little bit. They had a lot of freshmen on the court, and playing IPFW at home is not an easy task. You know, they they do a nice job prepar- uh, preparing already. You take into consideration now being uh, now being at home uh, and playing against Ohio State. And Ohio State starting outside here, Henchy had a little bit of a rough start, and I think that uh, that kind of started the nail being put into the coffin for him. So unfortunately for Ohio State, their season is done. But for Arnie's Army, they continue on to next week, and that is uh, that's a nice job by them. Congratulations to Arnie and the gang out there in Fort Wayne. And your award, yeah, and- Arnie's Army, is Loyola. <laughs> <laughs> True, that is true. They're gonna they're gonna be up against it with Loyola at home. Loyola's record, obviously, at home this year, uh, they only have one loss. In fact, that's the only loss they have on the season, which you know was the third match in three days against good teams. So that's you know I don't take anything away from from there. IPFW has lost both matches this year against them as well, and it's gonna be um, you know it, it's gonna be an uphill task for them. I I don't take anything away from Loyola uh, and IPFW. They've done a lot of work on the season, but I'm not so sure that. IPFW is going to have what it takes. But Vinny has uh, done some research, and if you look at his bracketology stuff going online, he's got some insi- uh, some interesting insights on some of these matchups. Vinny, what do you got for that match? Yeah, well, one of the big things to take away from this match is the IPFW-Loyola rivalry has been a very underrated rivalry in the Midwest, and both these teams play each other very close, very tight. It's always a competitive match. And fun fact to throw out here, the last time a number one seed in the MEVA tournament did not advance to the championship match was 2005 when IPFW as a number five seed beat Loyola the number one seed. So, you know, obviously that was about ten years ago. A lot of those players were in elementary school at the time. But, you know, Arnie's Army, they love being the underdog. They thrive in that role, and they're going out to Loyola. You know, they really do believe that they have a chance. And, you know, this is an offense that hit more than 400 in their victory against Ohio State. And, you know, you look at kind of the matchups, I think that IPFW poses maybe one of the more challenging matchups for Loyola because that's a team that has the potential to keep pace with Loyola's offense. And with that stat, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to uh, imitate Casey Patterson by saying, boom. <laughs> that's an awesome stat right there, Vinny. That's, that's the stuff that we need to hear. That's good. <laughs> yeah, well, and Jay, I'll tell you, though, the other one as well, I'm looking at the, the other match as well um, in the semifinals. You have Ball State and Lewis. I'll tell you, you look at this match as well. If you want to talk about interesting sets. This is probably one going to be a very intriguing matchup, not only because these two teams just completely despise each other beyond belief. I remember covering a match um, when I was in college between Ball State and Lewis and a fight almost broke out on the court. You got Coach Joe Walton who still hasn't got over it, over the fact that Lewis cheated or what well, he said cheated using eligible players 10 years ago. So these are two programs that don't like each other going out and playing in the conference tournament semifinals and playing in Romeoville, Illinois, which has been a big challenge for Ball State in recent years. Ball State hasn't won at Romeoville, Illinois since 2009 when Slumdog Millionaire was in theaters. That's how long ago it's been, and it's a kind of a psychological thing in some of these players' heads of can they win in Romeoville, Illinois, and if they can do that, they can get over that mental hurdle, they have the possibility to get into the championship match. 
Wow, that's that's huge right there. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I, how long has it been since Ball State's won there? Ball State hasn't won um, at, at Lewis since um, 2009. And then you go back even further, and then, I mean, talk about the uphill road Ball State could have. They haven't won at Lewis since 2009. And then if, if they play Loyola, they haven't won at Loyola since 1999. So if Ball State's going to get their first MEVA championship since 2002, they're going to have to really crush some streaks here in the process to do that. Wow, that's that's quite an uphill task, if you ask me. What do you think, Robbie? You know, I, I, Lewis is seeing Jeff Powell play last year in the national championship match in the semi or the, the semifinals. You know, he's been a solid performer. And he's coming off of over 500 performance against Grand Canyon. I just he's been really tough to stop for the Flyers. So, and BJ Bulldog does a really good job of, of running that offense. He knows when the hot hand is hot, and he goes to it, and that's what's going to get him the W. So, uh, you know, it's, they've, they've got some other hitters that are, that are okay that can take some pressure off of Powell, like Greg Petty. And, you know, it's, I, I think that, that Lewis will, will hold strong. Like you were saying, that home court advantage, you know, I totally mispredicted in the MPSF tourneys. But, man, home court advantage is going to be huge for Lewis, I think, uh, in that matchup. I agree right. with and you I, on that. I agree with you 100%. And I, and I have to think that, that Greg Petty is going to be kind of the determining factor for Lewis if they can move on or not. If Greg Petty's having a good night, they keep that court awfully wide. And, and their opposite fitter does a nice job, and he's been pretty steady throughout the year. If Greg Petty can have a good night, that court stays 30 feet wide. And I think I like Lewis's chances in that. If Greg Petty's not having a good night, things could get a little bit ugly for him. So it, 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 that's, that's the question mark for me. Right, and last time Ball State and Lewis played, Teddy, or excuse me, Powell had a career high 32 kills as Lewis came back from a 2-0 deficit to win. So that's well on the mind of the Ball State blockers. But also the bigger thing that you have to keep in mind with this Ball State Lewis matchup right now, if you are a fan of the MPSF, you are cheering like no other on Wednesday night for Ball State because you need Ball State to win to knock out Lewis of a potential at-large bid in that race because I'll tell you, things could get very, very interesting here in the at-large race right now. If you look at the numbers, if BYU is to lose to UCSB in the semifinals and Lewis is able to get to the championship match, that's going to be very, very interesting to see how the selection committees race those two teams come selection Sunday. And there's a strong possibility that Lewis could jump ahead of BYU to get that final at-large bid if that scenario plays out. Oh, and the West Coast Honks will be so <laughs> upset if that happens, and I would love every minute of it. Seems right. utterly impossible. Well, well, here's a couple. Well, here's a couple things. Here's a couple things coming that you have to keep in mind. When you talk about the at-large process, first off, with the selection committee, it's three members. And one of the cool things about the men's volleyball selection committee, not only do they go off the numbers, but unlike the women's game, majority of the selection to me is comprised of former volleyball players. So two of the three have actually played college volleyball before. Not only are they going off numbers, but they're looking at how things play. But if you just look at the numbers based off the criteria that the selection committee goes with, there's nine areas of criteria. And some of the three big ones that you're going to want to focus on here is going to be head-to-head record. Lewis beat BYU at the beginning of the season, so they have that check mark. The other one is going to be record against common opponents. BYU has the edge in that check mark. And then the other big one, the real interesting one, is going to be record against teams that have already qualified for the NCAA tournament or under consideration for an at-large bid. And right now, based off our projections, both BYU and Lewis are tied at a perfect 
at 500% in their winning record against teams currently projected to be under consideration. So if that if that scenario plays out and then comes into, well, what was the head-to-head, a match all that happened all the way back at the beginning of the week of the season could determine who gets the at-large bid. And what about Riddle. the other criteria, <laughs> Vinny, about out-of-conference competition? There's also the one that, that's also going against teams like Pepperdine and Santa Barbara because they have zero out-of-conference matches. Right. Well, especially Pepperdine, because one of the nine pieces of criteria No, no, wait. What was is, that, Vinny? Was it Pepperdine or Peeper Denae? Peeper Denae. Yeah, Peeper Denae. Excuse me. Peeper Denae. Thank you. Yeah, Peeper Denae. You know, one of the things <laughs> that does hurt them is they didn't play a non-conference match, and one of the pieces of criteria, one of the nine, is non-conference, re- is non-conference record. So that also hurts BYU because they went 0-2 in non-conference play. Now, the team that benefits the most out of the non-conference record are both UC Santa Barbara and Stanford. UC Santa Barbara, because they got that one win in the uh, in their home tournament at the beginning of the season, they went undefeated in, co- in non-conference play. And then Stanford, a little bit more of a traditional midwest or more traditional MPSF non-conference schedule, they went three and zero, including a big victory against Lewis. So you're starting to see a lot of these matches that we forgot in January now coming back in the forefront as we discussed with that large process. Ah, uh, yes. Great All right, so. TJ. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to swing things around to the Eva, and I'm thinking of King Longshanks standing on his horse going, send in our reinforcements and send news of our victory. <laughs> what was that? Wow. I wow. love the imagery. I normally would not correct uh, Vinny because Vinny is the man. However, I'm looking at Santa Barbara's schedule right now. They do not have anybody that they played out of conference. They played UC well, San Diego on the one day that counted, and they had right, – But, uh, and, oh, but, right, but so, that counts as a non-conference match because it was technically out of conference. So that still qualifies as a non-conference even because it was in a non-conference tournament. Okay, Vinny, ah, that, that's then, impressive. what incentive is there for teams in the West to play teams in the East on the off chance that, you know, the team in the Midwest is very good or the team in the East is very good and – if you play them early in the season, that definitely means anything can happen, even when you have teams that aren't necessarily in the same place at the end of the year. Is there any incentive at all for an MPSF team to come and play? You know, I actually think that there is a good incentive from the standpoint of it gives you an opportunity to increase your winning record, and that's also a criteria win-loss. So it's one of those things that when you schedule these big non-conference matches, it's amazing if you're able to get that victory. That bolsters your resume. And a great example of this right now is Stanford, because they scheduled Lewis, they right now have a, looking at the statistics, they actually are faring better right now than Pepperdine, even though Pepperdine finished ahead of them in the MPSF standing. But because Stanford scheduled big in non-conference, played Lewis, got their victory, they're benefiting. But, you know, the interesting thing, conversely, let's say that Pepperdine, if they were to say, hey, we're going to do a EIVA gauntlet, we're going to play NJIT, Rutgers, Newark, and Sacred Heart, they could have gotten three non-conference victories, and they would now have been ahead of Stanford. So, you know, there is some benefit in terms of playing, in terms of playing those non-conference matches. It's all a matter of how big do you want that risk to be, that risk reward to be, especially when you talk about that criteria of record against teams under consideration or have already qualified. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jay, tell us about the Eva. 
All right, the EIVA is coming up this week, and we have the four teams in the pairings. Uh, the two matches will take place on Thursday in the semis. The first semi will be the Battle of the Ivy Leagues, Princeton versus Harvard. That's going to go on at 5 o'clock, and that's going to be a battle royale. This is the first time, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Vinny, that Princeton and Harvard have ever seen each other right. in the EIVA tournament. And if you think there's no love lost between these two teams, think again. In fact, there's been some some jarring back and forth amongst uh, the schools regarding uh, you know, how they want to structure their seasons in the future and, and how they want to do deal with recruiting and getting kids in. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on right now where in the past there wasn't much of an issue because one team was usually better than the other here or there, and, and they kind of went about their way. But now there seems to be some competition, and both schools are so hated. Uh, they so hate the other teams in the Ivy League, they don't want anybody else to beat them. And <laughs> Harvard and Princeton right now are battling not only for supremacy in the Ivy League outside of men's volleyball, but now it's creeping into men's volleyball. So it's really exciting to see. Yeah. Is this known as the Star Wars Cup? The Star Star (laughs) Wars Cup? No, that's only if Robbie is involved. (laughs) This is a couple of the Battle of the Nerds teams playing, so it it has to be the Star Wars Cup, and I would expect, uh, what's the over-under on multiple pocket protectors being rained down from the stands after a bad call? Man, that is just brutal. Uh, you know, I don't know the numbers on those. Maybe Vinny can calculate some stats on that. But <laughs> it's going to be one heck of a match, if you ask me. And I'm really looking forward to watching that. And the other one, obviously, we're taking on George Mason. George Mason came in uh, pretty much in the final weekend there and stole the fourth spot. And we'll be seeing them. Uh, and they're, you know, up and coming, getting better teams. So as the season we're on, we're, we're, they're definitely uh, taking care of some business. So it's going to be a great week. And the winners will obviously play themselves or play each other. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on Saturday, Super Saturday is what we'll call it. All right, so George Mason must have defeated Princeton this past week to get themselves away. Uh, or did they lose well, to Princeton? They no, lost they, to what Prin- happened was they they beat Princeton the first time at home, but they lost okay. to Princeton in the second match. But what happened was Saint, that put St. Francis in a must-win situation of their last three matches, which the last three were Newark, uh, Rutgers-Newark, which is transferring to Division Three, and NJIT, who they beat earlier in the year, and us. And they were not too happy about that. We took care of business against them. And so, unfortunately, they lost out on their spot to get into the Final Four for the EIVAs. And George Mason is in. Okay. So, George Mason gets Penn State. Princeton versus Harvard. Yes. Ivy League Battle of Royale. (laughs) All right. (laughs) <laughs> Vinny, what are we what are we missing here, Vinny? What are we missing from from our recap so far? What other information do people need for this weekend? Well, you know, week? I think the right this week. Well, I think a couple of things. One in the EIVA, a big streak to keep on the line. Penn State is on a 37 conference tournament match winning streak. That's the longest in NCAA Shocking. men's volleyball history. So we'll see if they can continue to keep that one going. The other interesting stat, though, I will say, jumping on out into the West Coast that people should keep an eye on. We talk a lot about BYU's dominance at home in Smith Fieldhouse. They have been completely dominant. They are 17-2 and all-time at Smith Fieldhouse in the MPSF tournament. However, both of those losses have come against UC Santa Barbara. And Whoa. the last, so, you know, Coach, or, so Rick McLaughlin seems more than able to go into Smith Fieldhouse and get a victory. They were even able to do it in 2012 
when BYU was a top-four team and UC Santa Barbara didn't even make it into the conference tournament. So I'm very interested to see how that match plays out, especially when when you consider these two teams play each other close. In four of the last five times these two teams have met, the match has gone to a decisive fifth game. That is huge. That is huge, Vinny, and that is why we brought you on the show today. I love, <laughs> I love the research. I love, hey, hey, love the research. Uh, can we can we talk to Robbie about the MPSF? What happened to your UCI boys there? They were up, they were down oh, 9-11 yeah. in the fifth, and then went on a four-point serving run from Kyle Russell and go up 13-11 and then end up losing 15-30. What Jason, happened? wait for this since Saturday. I have been. I have been. Yes, that was, uh, that was tough. <laughs> well, actually, they went up 13-11 after Kyle Russell serving, got an ace on that run. And, you know, it, it ended up being a, a service error by Irvine, uh, made it 12-13. Then an um, attack error. Dano got blocked by Haley and Shaw to make it 13-all. Then uh, off serve receive, they set La Cavera, and he hit it wide to give the edge to um, Stanford to put it at 14-13. Then they just played some serious defense, got a good transition ball, and put the, by, the ball out to Mahalski and put it away for match point. So we lost four points, and that was that was pretty tough right there. I think. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that 13, was 11. I was glued to my computer screen watching that match, and I'm thinking to myself at first in that fifth game that UC Irvine's got it. They, they, they are going to beat the hot team in the MPSF right now, and then out of nowhere I blinked, and Stanford ended up winning it. Well, one of the things that, that, that for Irvine to, to take that, Zach Lacavera had to come up big, and he did at the opposite side. However, it's just Brian Cook came up bigger, and Eric Mahalsey delivered in the clutch at the end. I mean, they, they each had triple-digit kills, sorry, double-digit kills. He had Cook with 21, Irvine with 15, and Mahalsey also with 15. But it's Mahalsey's play at the tail end that really saved him. And I'm going to give glory to the libero, Scott, or not libero, the serving specialist, Scott Sakaida. Came yes. in and served those four balls and came up with some pretty big digs and just, I mean, lit that team up for that push at the end. That, and that's a really great call, Rob, because I remember watching him come in and I'm thinking to myself, they don't have any other servers on that court that are in that gym that can do anything that, that this kid can't bring. And he ended up doing a really nice job from the end line at a clutch time. That's a good call out right there. Um, what happened with BYU and USC? What, did, did USC just fall apart? Were they outgunned from the beginning? What, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I was just saying. Uh, Coach McGowan earlier, and you know what? Basically, that four that four match losing streak to end the season put the fire to the tails of the Cougars because they came out and a can of you know what was opened on USC. I mean, BYU hit five nineteen for the match. They outblocked them twelve to two. The they they but jeez, <laughs> they, they aced them five to nothing. And they had you know, and and basically you've got Taylor Sander, you've got the super player of the conference right now. You know, if he gets a little help, BYU is going to win. But he had contributions from Rivera and Dauber, who both hit, uh, got 10 kills and were hitting over 500 for the match. So, yeah. um, and Robbie Sutton, the first start career start for him, had excellent distribution at the pins, which kept USC guessing. That's why they couldn't block a bunch of balls. He had Sander, 21 kills, Dauber 20, and Rivera was 17. And he ended up you know, get, getting 36 assists, three blocks, and two kills for himself. All career highs for the, the, the first start. So, um and it's, it's, it was awesome to see how determined BYU was uh, on the attack. You know, they're setting Sanders a big. Rivera was fired up. And when he, you know, that, that Puerto Rican mentality, just getting fired up, he just was, 
you could not stop. He is full on momentum for the for the Cougars. I, I wonder how much, if at all, that there, there may not be a non-factor here. The week and a half or so off that USC had, that they sat back and watched everybody else play, and I know they had their alumni match, and I know obviously you practice every day in the gym with good players. That that part I'm not taking away, but that competitive rhythm, that that drive, that you know every weekend you know you're getting ready to go, having that time off, if that had any effect in there, what do you think? Yeah, I believe that it would because you know you need to eat. establishing rhythm is huge, especially for a playoff run. And if you're you're sitting still and you don't have the competitive mentality in the gym before the match, and you know it's just not going to work out so well for you, especially for a team that's as motivated as BYU coming off those four losses. Like the last thing they want to do is choke at the end here. So uh, they yeah. definitely had a little extra motivation on their side. And USC, you know, granted they probably had some superstar alumni come in and play hard against them, but it's more of a social match in all honesty. So uh, yeah, yeah. it may have worked well, against them, I think, in the long run. There's, there's one other match that I'm sure somebody in the studio wants to talk about, but let's talk about Santa Barbara-UCLA. What, uh, was, was Jonas Seif the difference in that match? Was, there, was UCLA not on? What, what, what were your thoughts on what you saw there? Because I, we couldn't watch it out here. So. Oh, oh, well, you know, basically I think, well, all through the year when uh, Santa Barbara has been successful, they live and die by their pin attackers. And they had all three of their pin attackers on fire that evening, and they came up big in, in the end because uh, Evan Lights had 17 kills, Nielsen had 14, and Hanley had 16. And this is, this is the knife into the UCLA. Hanley, the transfer from UCLA, put away the last two points or was a part of the two points that, that sealed the deal for Santa Barbara. Um, Jonas Safe has been just huge for the Gauchos. You know, 46 assists, and he puts up a big block. He had two solos and three block assists for him. And, um, you know, he just kept UCLA off balance all night, it seemed. And, you know, those, those pin attackers, they were getting hot in the end. Uh, for for uh, UCLA to win, they had to serve super tough, and that didn't quite happen that night. I was trying to look at uh, Santa Barbara out ace UCLA 6-1 to one that evening. And wow. it tells me that UCLA ended up kind of going conservative or just weren't on their serving game. And, uh, you know, Evan Light, when he got hot, he definitely got a couple aces that evening. And, you know, once his serving game's going, that means everything else is in dial for him. And that just makes it tough for, for someone to play a team like Santa Barbara, who, when their outside hitters are getting super hot, you know, it's, it's just such a spread-out offense. Well, good kudos to Rick McLaughlin and, and, uh, and those gauchos for coming on strong at the end of the year. I guess we have to talk about this match because Barney's contractually obligated to discuss it. But <laughs> yep. what, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts, Barney, on Pieper Denae pulling one out against Long Beach? Pieper Denae's awesome. That's my thought. They're really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to give a shout-out to your boy, Kyle Garens, who came up big for the first time for him. You know, He, he got a career high that night. <laughs> Well, yeah, can we also I was, point out this? Oh. I was just going to say, I thought that second set was critical. That's what I said earlier in the show, is that the, the way that Long Beach kind of collapsed in that second set, I think really hurt them. And you see that a lot in men's volleyball, where that a set collapse in the second really determines the rest of the match and the direction that it goes. Yeah, and and I'm, I was watching that match as well, and and one of the things I noticed is that, you know, as much as Taylor Crab is able to do, I, I think there's there's a there's a moment in time when you need production from the rest of the rest of the court on there, and and I don't know if that's the if that if that was enough that night from everybody else to help him out and alleviate some of that pressure, but you know, hats off oh, to him, boy, I tell you, Taylor Crab did a, an outstanding job this whole year. 
Hey, uh, Jay, and, the other pin hitters didn't give them any kind of love whatsoever because I look at their hitting percentage on the evening, 043, 143, and 150. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's tough to do. And, and you know, we, we talk about it all the time. When your court is 30 feet wide, you know, you're going to have a lot of success because you're going to keep that, that defense guessing. But when your court shrinks and then when it shrinks even further, it's, it's so much pressure on one person or two people at the most to be able to do, you know, what, what carry the load for everybody else. And so, you know, for Taylor, you know, everybody says they'd love to have seen him get one. It would have been awesome to see them get one. Unfortunately, he's not going to. But, you know, he's got a bright future ahead of him, and, and I, I really like the young guy a lot. He's got a lot of potential to be, uh, you know, a world-class volleyball athlete, and I'm, I'm super stoked for his future. And, Jay, not to be lost in all this is the job Pepper Denae is doing without their possible All-American option, Parker Kalmbach, who's been injured and didn't play in that match, and he's started doing some limited practice. So we'll see if he'll be able to go Thursday against Stanford. Yeah, and Molsoff's done a nice job. I mean, he, he, the kid's stepping in, and, you know, he's not lighting anybody up, but he is, he's holding his own. He's putting up a decent, you know, couple of hands in front of the hitters in front of him, and, he, and he's just he's doing a nice job. I, I, I'm pretty pretty stoked for that kid to walk into that position. You know, Marv does such a great job preparing those kids, as do, you know, all the coaches that, that are in the top programs in the country. But, you know, he's... He's done such a nice job of uh, making this kid know that, hey, when, you're, when your time gets called, go out there and shine and do the best you can, and, and J.J.'s just ran with it. So hats off to the kid. Well, you have to also give uh, props to their middles, Matt Tarantino and Nikola Antonievich. They've been consistent performers in the middle for, for Pepperdine. I mean, it's great to have a set like Matt West, but these guys are blocking and hitting. You know, Josh Taylor, whoever they are, their attackers are going to be at the outside. So they're going to be pretty successful because of, of the contributions from their middles. <clears throat> hey, yeah. boys, in the, realm, in the realm of crazy rumors, let me just throw on the chat board here. I know who it is, but it says that rumor was that Fergie had to make the finals, if not win, to keep his job. What do you think happens at SC? I would find this hard to believe coming off of just one bad year last year. Yeah. I mean, he's gotten yeah. to the, the national championships <laughs> how many years now? It's, I mean, Fergie's got some good players on the roster, and it's just a matter of, of waiting for that. You know, for those guys that develop, like Lucas Yoder, they've got a few guys coming in that are going to be pretty strong, and uh, you're, you have an All-American in Lucas Yoder. So, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Necessarily true. Micah that's, uh, Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nasty rumor. You know, the other the other rumor, though, if you're going to go that direction, Micah Christensen, does he come back for his senior year, or does somebody pick him up and he goes pro? Nah, you'd have to pay him a lot of money, but it's possible. Man, he, I, I'm sure he's worth it. <laughs> yeah, but you have to pay a lot of money for a setter, and that money typically, that big money right out the gate might go to a hitter. I, I'd be surprised to see someone throw enough at him that he wouldn't be back next year, but I'm, I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. Now, I, know, I know that that would frustrate Fergie to no end if, uh, if he lost Micah, but, you know, stranger things have happened. That was just a thought. Yep. All right, boys. Give me your give me your picks here. Let's just I'll tick them off here, and we'll just we'll just give check marks. Loyola IPFW. <laughs> Everyone vote here. Loyola. Loyola. <laughs> I'll be contrarian. I'll go IPFW. Oh, okay. he's, a little, he's got a little crazy in him today. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Lewis and Ball State. Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't go that crazy. All right. No, no. Uh, have the All I Indiana final. <laughs> I, I love the stat on this one. UC Santa Barbara, the only real troublemaker for BYU at Smith Fieldhouse. All right, BYU, UCSB. 
I'm going to go with BYU <laughs> for the last I'm charge going, for Taylor Sander. Uh, what do you say, Vinny? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go BYU in five, and I say Sander puts up 20, at least 25 kills. I'm going against the green. I'm saying Santa Barbara. Oh, look at Jay. He's going the safe way. <laughs> he is going the safe way. Nice. All right, Peeper DNA versus the Cardinal and that stupid tree. Oof. All of the three will not I'm going to jump on this one and go the Stanford Cardinal. They are playing extremely well. Sorry, Barney. But they, they are, they've been impressive as of late. And they've, Mahalski, Irvin, and Cook, as well as Shaw, have been playing extremely well. Costi's got them running well. Yeah, I've got to go Stanford as well. Stanford uh, seems to be the team that is the most hottest right now. And uh, I, they've, they've, they're 2-0 and against Pep this year. They're both 7-4 and away from their home gyms. I've got to give the edge to Stanford. Yeah, I'm going to go Stanford as well, and I'm also just hoping that the MPSF and BYU can work out something so there's some online video of this match so it's not like last year against UC Irvine and Long Beach State, an epic five-game match that we didn't have video of. Can we get, like, a Kickstarter going for you again, Vinny, and send you out there with a camera? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'd be all for that, so if uh, you can send your personal checks, may not. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Exactly. All right, uh, the Star Wars Cup, Princeton and Harvard. Ooh, I'll, wait, I'll be last on that one. Um, you know, I, you know, Harvard won both um, their regular season games or matches in five games. I just really like the way Cody Kessel has been playing down the stretch. I'm going to go Princeton. Princeton. Plus, okay. Yeah, plus Princeton is going to bring their pep band, so likely. Yeah, I like the Princeton call as well. <laughs> All right, you know, Jay, I, who you get to I, the have, I have I have to agree. Princeton, I think, is the team that's going to pull it out this year on that in that semi. All right, I'm going to put three checks next to Penn State here. We're just, uh, <laughs> does anyone want to? Does anyone really want to get a little bit of nuts here and put George Mason into the finals and knock Penn State out? Yeah, silence. <laughs> there yeah, we go. No. Yeah, that's what I thought. All yeah. right, so. Let's let's pick this then. Stanford and BYU. Let's say they match up in the final. I know Jay has UC Santa Barbara, but let's say let's just say who wins the MPSF. How about that? Who's the winner of the MPSF? Give me your votes. If you're going to go, go with BYU Stanford. and Stanford, if ooh, you're going to go with Stanford, Robbie. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. Ooh. Right. That would throw a monkey wrench, wouldn't it, Vinny? Yeah, that that would. And um, I'm going to go with Stanford because um, I picked Stanford at the beginning of this tournament, so I'll stick with them. Ooh. Nice! Wow, I uh, I really don't. <laughs> I uh, I have no dog in that race. I'm 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 just gonna jump on board and say it's gonna be a great final to watch. Oh, fantastic! Pop out, say. All right, all right, all right. I'm gonna say BYU. If it's BYU Stanford, I'm gonna go BYU. Oh, Jay says BYU. Okay. Yeah, if it's those two, but I think Santa Barbara's gonna beat them. Okay, oh, I like it. Oh. I like. It. All right. Well, give me the Miva winner. Vinny. Um, uh, if Loyola can beat IPFW, I go with Loyola. If IPFW wins, I go with Lewis. Okay, but you have to pick one. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. It, all right, we'll go with uh, since I picked Loy or since I picked IPFW in the upset, we'll do Lewis. Lewis wins it. Ooh, look at that. Man. All right, I'm gonna go Loyola. I gotta, I, I gotta think Loyola is gonna hold out here. There's just too much momentum going their way. All yeah, right, I agree. Yep, Loyola yeah. all the way. There you go. Loyal all the way. Put that on a T-shirt. Okay. Uh, winner of the EVA, Jay, I'll put you down for Penn State. 
right now. Okay. Even bother. Put me down for two, if you don't mind. You, you standing next to King Longshanks. That'll be good. All right. Penn State. Today. Penn State. Look it up. It was called Braveheart. It was an excellent film back in the day. All right, Robbie. I'm definitely Penn State. It's hard not to see them in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah for, for me, Penn State as well. All right. So you guys have uh, Penn State. Not just because I like Jay. 109th <laughs> appearance in the Final Four. That's excellent. All right. Uh, Conference Carolinas, uh, gentlemen, I haven't heard much of anything about Erskine or, or Granite or any other sort of naturally occurring <laughs> substance. Oh, it's, it's, it's Erskine. Hard. It's Erskine, obviously. And they're, they're yeah. playing the USC game. They're waiting. They're, they're kind of sitting back. Their, their conference tournament was done, obviously, last week. And so they're kind of sitting back and, and kind of chomping at the bit a little bit. You know, I, I'm not sure that they're going to get any higher than the sixth seed in the tournament. I, Vinny, yeah. if I'm wrong, correct me. But, sure. uh they're 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 sitting back kind of going you know what let's just enjoy this for what it is it's our first time in the tournament we're going to go in with you know kind of pie it a little bit but we're going to they're going to try to play hard obviously they're not going to they're not going to just say hey we're here and just screw it and let's go home but i'm not feeling too confident about anything else on top of that so good good uh a good thing for them to do and 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 welcome to the big dance it's going to be a few years before the conference carolinas i think are a, a force i don't know yeah. Oh, oh, and Jay, just oh, sorry, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say one one thing though, Jay, to keep in mind: the MPSF is winless all time against the Conference Carolinas. You know, I I was going to bring that stat up, and I just I wanted to leave it for you, so it was an unbiased statement. So again, I I imitate Casey Pattern and I say, boom. Yeah, but you know, in all seriousness, all seriousness, though, with Erskine, I had an um, opportunity to talk to their head coach, Derek Schmidt, after their big conference victory to win that championship. They're obviously very excited. They're embracing the fact that they're going to be the underdog. And, you know, talking to them, they truly do believe that they're going to surprise some people. I know a lot of the people on the West Coast are thinking that they're not even going to get to double digits again whoever that team is in the number three seed. But, yeah, I would expect for there to be three close games when whoever they play in that playing match as the number six seed. Well, well, let me just tell you something. It's kind of like when a Division One team plays a Division Three team. It's almost a yeah. no-win situation for the Division One team. Everybody expects you to win. And if you do, everybody goes, ah, well, you had to play a Division Three team. But if you lose, all of a sudden, everybody looks at you and goes, well, what happened? And you, you, you can't win either way. And so this team, Erskine, comes in, and, you know, they're the, they're the quote-unquote Division Two team from the Conference Carolinas, but nobody's expecting them to do anything. And it's a really great position to be in because they go in and they have no expectations other than just go in and play hard. The team that they play – if they all of a sudden start thinking to themselves, hey, wait a minute here, you know, they're coming into our party and, and screwing things up, it could get interesting, and I agree with you. They're going to be close games, and I would not be surprised, depending on who they play, that they don't take a game. They're going to take I a game. I just add that the, the exposure on the national scene for Erskine. You know, they have players from Wisconsin and Florida and Puerto Rico on their roster. You know, I just think it's a great opportunity for that school to be represented. Yeah, and they get a jump start on recruiting with the with the now the the name being nationalized uh, at the big dance. So, yeah, that's right. a that's a good job by them. What is Erskine? What's their mascot? They the flying are fleet. The, fleet. <laughs> the what? The, the flying, flying fleet. fleet. Flying fleet. Fleet. Flying, flying fleet. Fleet. Yes. Like a bunch of airplanes. Yes, it's a it's like a bomber who's got his uh he's got his Google his goggles, goggles on. on his, his Google his goggles. goggles. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> You're messing yourself up with this Peeper DNA stuff. Listen, uh, I know I can't. I can't think straight. I I don't. I think they'll get double digits. I'll give them ten or eleven points. That's no problem in a couple of sets. But I give them a really high chance of success in the mascot Final Four challenge. A fleet of four is not going to have a, a much of a problem with a lot of of anybody else. I don't think even waves. Although I don't know how you do damage to waves, but. I, uh, I think the fleet of bombers is going to be looking pretty good for the mascot <laughs> national championship. You know, if I'm going to go all nerd on you, the bombers could drop bombs and screw up the whole shelf of the floor on the ocean and not may have a wave at all. Ooh. <laughs> you got the oh. environmental on them, huh? That's what I'm saying. Hey, I, hey I'm a banana slug at heart. I'm a, ban- <laughs> I'm a banana slug at heart. You know, I got I to gotta think environmentally all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks very much. It was entertaining and fun. We will talk to you next week when uh, we'll have a national championship picture. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Vinny, thanks for joining us, man. Really right appreciate yeah, Vinny, you taking you. the time. No problem. Take thanks for having me on, guys. Love the show. All right. Jay, Jay Robbie, and Vinny. See you guys. Checking out here at College Volvo Weekly. And, uh, yeah, Erskine in the finals. What do you think? Princeton and Harvard? Could you call it anything but the Star Wars Cup? Hobbit. The nerd ball. Nerd ball. The nerd ball. That's the point. Star Wars. All right. Let's uh, let's take a short break here. Future Jeremy. rulers of the world ball. Yeah, yeah. First, future high earners. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a laugh now. They will have a laugh for the rest of their lives. We'll all be working for them someday. It's fine. <laughs> we'll be right back on the net live here on Volleyball Magazine. Thanks, 6-8 Clothing Company. It's a new men's apparel company out of Seattle, Washington, designing and producing casual clothing for the tall and athletic man. That is the volleyball body. No more do you have to wear a shirt that is twice as wide as it needs to be just because you're tall. This will sacrifice your safety when jumping out of trees and trying to glide like a flying squirrel. But you'll be happier. No more do you have to push your jeans down to dangerously low levels to make your inseam appear normal. I have done that. There is no question. Dress well. Live tall. 6-8 Clothing Company. Available online at 6-8ClothingCompany.com. And that is the number 8 in the middle of that web address. So if you have a friend, relative, son, 
anyone you know that is about 6'6 or above, they need an XT, an XL, T, an LT, those kind of things, go over to 68clothingcompany.com. Thanks to them for getting behind the show. Thanks to the boys for coming on and talking about the College Volleyball Weekly. That was uh, that was good stuff. And uh, you can watch those matches. Remember, BYU TV has coverage. They also live stream some of the other schools have had coverage. Uh, get out there and check it out. You know, honestly, Volley Talk good source for links on those. If yeah. you want to get on Volley Talk on Saturday or I probably Thursday. It's a good source. For <laughs> Sometimes. Unfounded rumors and video links. Top-level college stuff happening this week with those playoffs, but also your men's national team is in action this summer and available to see. Imagine that. May 15 through 18 is the World Championship Qualifier, and that is happening in Colorado Springs. That will happen at altitude. It's kind of a back-to-the-future thing happening. Back to the future. Back to the future. Floating skateboards. Uh, yeah, I wonder where my hoverboard is. But uh, it will be 15 through 18 at Colorado Springs. It will be qualifier it's at the Olympic Training Center. This is a qualifier for world championships, which will happen at the end of August, beginning of September in Poland. And this, these are some barn burner matches right here. United States versus Guatemala, Haiti, and St. Lucia. Oof. <laughs> so if you want to take a field trip to Colorado Springs, enjoy the city and maybe a few 45-minute volleyball matches, have a good time. <laughs> Guatemala, Haiti, and St. Lucia. If you're looking for an opportunity to see the United States against some top-flight talent, June, they will be doing a tour of Eastern Europe of the former Soviet bloc, June 6 through 7, versus Russia at the Long Beach Pyramid. Local, if you're here in Southern California. June 13 through 14, versus Serbia, at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Chicago. And if you went to this event a few years ago, it was a cicada year in Illinois. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> against Italy. And when this venue was brand new, they hadn't even finished the landscaping around it. Building was good. Really nice uh, place. We had a hotel. We had 100 million cicadas around. It was a lot of fun. And also, June 20 through 21, Bulgaria at the Sears Center in Hoffman Estates. That actually, that event that happened at the University of Illinois Chicago was the infamous bus ride with Jim Polster being left behind as we watched the scene of Spiker where the guy gets left behind. Nice. Unbelievable moment early in the morning, like 5 a.m., nice. boarding the bus to go to the airport. I'm hitching a ride with the team. Still dark outside. Jim Polster does not show up. We turn on Spiker, which we had been watching in segments on the trip, and there it was, the scene where they leave a guy behind because he's not on the bus. Yeah. You have a caller? Yep. Jeremy? I believe it's... Who, uh, uh, who could it be? We're going to find out momentarily. How you doing, it's Brian first time, first time, long time? Brian, have we yeah. talked to you before? You probably, you met me at World League last time no, they I were mean in Chicago. On the air. I mean on the air. I've been on the air. I called, let me okay. tell you, I called, I was a sophomore in college, it was 07, there was like four people listening to the show at the time, and I was so <laughs> nervous at the time. And look at you guys now, it's incredible. Yeah, there's like eight people listening, this is awesome. I know, you, <laughs> you got all these guests in the queue you didn't have before. That was dope. Well, Brian, Anyways, what's happening? You're in the Chicago area there. I am looking forward to the World League matches, so. But I've been wanting to talk for a while about this, so I coached. Junior college, D3, D1, and then I kind of left it. I didn't like the grind. I like to just work with the players. Well, I've been with this club in the Burbs for about a year now, and part of what I do is serve as college liaison. 
And the reality is, is most of the kids, you know, it's not even a talent thing. The bottom line is they don't understand because we don't tell them about the 6 a.m. weight class, individual practice, team practice. And one of the things that kind of gets me nervous is I see, you know, the NCSA kind of popping up and it's uh, partnered with AAU, and I'm seeing a lot of my sophomores are getting contacted by them saying, oh, you haven't done X, Y, and Z. You know, if you haven't done that, you're way behind on the curve, and we can catch you up for a fee. They're charging anywhere from $1,200 to $2,500 to these people, and all they're doing is making these websites with, you know, they put video out there and they spam coaches, in my opinion. So, you know, part of the, the frustration for me is you see, you know, about 1.4% of kids actually get these Division One scholarships, and we talked about growing the game. You've got, you know, 418,000 kids that are actually playing high school volleyball, and 98% of them aren't going to be those scholarship athletes, but I don't feel like we're doing a lot you know, to, to give them an opportunity to play in college as well. And I know for Division three schools, yeah, you got some that are pretty talented, but you've got plenty also that are on the other end of it, you know, pulling kids from soccer and basketball programs. So, you know, I, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on, you know, we, we want to do more for that other 98%. We want to get the interest in the sport. I think that can help with attendance when we do have domestic events. You know, what, what's your thoughts on, you know, these recruiting agencies that are coming up? And, you know, I'm going to be blunt about it. I feel like all they're trying to do is turn a quick dollar because all these parents have no idea how to actually go through the recruiting process. Well, I know a lot of clubs now actually have recruiting coordinators that are on that hand. hand. Yeah, but they, the clubs have kind of brought this service in-house in a lot of cases. And... Gosh, this is a tough one. This is this comes down to participation as well. There's a lot of reasons to participate in club sports, not all of which are scholarship and and collegiate play oriented. A lot of them are towards just personal development and enjoyment and something that they that they love to do. Now, the recruiting side of things, I mean, yeah, if you're a parent and you're not familiar with how to cut video or how to get into a, a coach's mainstream, then yeah, I think this might be a helpful service for you. But people waste money on a lot of stuff they don't necessarily use or are not qualified for. Brian, I, I wonder if uh, maybe just parents are making bad choices. Yeah, and, and I think part of it, though, is, is look at how we're marketing towards them. A lot of it is fear. You know, like I said, all the people that come to me, because I serve as a college liaison, I, I don't like to use the term recruiting because I don't want to contact the school if I tell them, like, you're better off contacting the school on your own because then, you know, as a coach, you know, I used to get 30 to 40 emails a day. How do you separate, you know, which ones you're actually going to be able to invest time on? Well, the ones that I know our kids are actually looking at our school and might potentially be interested in coming, I feel have more, you know, of a chance of actually coming here compared to someone that might be just spamming generic emails, you know, across the board, you know. So, you know, I've, yeah. I've had the opportunity to sit with the families and educate them and talk about, you know, what they want on and off the court. And the reality is it's never been easier with the Internet. You should be able to, you know, put all the things that you want and, boom, it starts to filter the amount of schools that can, you can use down there, you know, and then start contacting them. And, you know, I, I just see these, you know, I talked to the parents that, that did use the recruiting agencies before I got there and how much money they spent. And the reality is, is you know, no one's going to have the kids' best interest in mind more than the athlete and the family, you know. And, and for, for the actual recruiting agencies, all they really want to do is be able to, put on their website, look, we, we send these kids to school, which isn't necessarily going to show that it's a good fit because, you know, a third of the kids that go to school, athlete or not, actually transfer out from their first tuition. I know because I was one of those kids, you know. So, you know, I, that's why I, I'm, I'm kind of starting something on the side where uh, I, I call it more of a consulting services, and I'm going to go to a bunch of the clubs 
and the schools in the area and just talk about the difference between divisions, how to start the process and whatnot. But, you know, I also know that, that from my experience with my club the first year and speaking with a lot of the families, they say most of the places that they've reached out to for help aren't actually educating them in how to do it. They're just trying to do it for them, you know, which, which baffles me because, you know, let, let's face it, if you're going to buy a house, you're not going to just let a realtor tell you all the good things and sign the mortgage or a car payment. You're not just going to let a car salesman tell you all the specs about it. So why do we let these outside agencies shop our kids around when they don't truly know, you know, what the kid wants aside from the fact they wanted to play volleyball? All right. Hey, Brian, good point. We'll uh, we'll use this as a jumping-off point. Thanks for calling in. Thanks. No problem. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, the selling of fear, Katie. Uh, I've, I've seen this firsthand with a friend of mine in Northern California who has a daughter. She's pretty good. She's 15. And the message from the recruiting coordinator is, you're falling behind. There won't be any offers left. Other co- coaches are, are, are finding these other players, and without, without this, no one's going to even find her. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting, you know, working at the club level after having worked at the college level. These recruiting services, the ones that have popped up, um, some of the bigger ones especially, are very expensive, mm-hmm. and they make it seem like you have to have their service. And you know, I had a bunch of parents come to me and say, "Well, is it worth it?" I said, "No." I can tell you, as a college coach, I deleted every email from a recruiting service that came in generally before I opened it, mostly because those. Recruiting services aren't paying attention to who they're sending them to. They just blank and send it like every school. Yeah. And so we think if the kid's really interested, they need to contact us. And additionally, the, the, very, the biggest push that we make at the club that I'm working at right now is you have a better chance of an academic scholarship than you do of an athletic scholarship at the collegiate level. You know, you've, if you can keep your grades up and get solid test scores, you're going to get more financial aid um, from a merit-based standard than you will likely get unless you're a really high-level 2% athlete that, you know, can work for a, a major scholarship. I mean, fully funded at the Division One is 12 scholarships, and not all have 12 scholarships. Fully funded at Division Two is eight for the women. Fully funded for men is four and a half. Well, the men is just, we, we shouldn't even talk about it. I know, it's just a little bit, it's a uniquely frustrating situation. It's a joke. No, there's 10,000 scholarships for women each year, though. Just about, but there's also... For volleyball, fifty thousand women playing, and everybody's marketing. Sure. And I'm like, oh, you can get a scholarship. Well, the likelihood of you getting a scholarship is actually pretty slim. If you look at a roster, Division One fully funded rosters may have twenty kids. You're looking at almost half a roster that is not on scholarship. Yeah, but I, I don't necessarily like that view of the world because I'm in the midst of my second career that there's a lot of people trying to do that quote nobody can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm in the midst of my second career doing that. So you at some point have to believe. Mm-hmm. And if you believe enough and you have enough physical gifts, we've talked about on the show before, you have to have the a certain... is that. You have to have that. But 10,000 scholarships leaves you a lot more leeway than a lot of other places. And, and I sort of see this two ways. As a parent, sometimes it's much easier to pay someone else to do something than it is to learn how to do it yourself because you have enough crap going on already. And if you've ever cut video... Mm-hmm. That's awful. It's a nightmare. And I do it. I do it for myself. I do it for projects, for friends, for fun. It is a time-intensive process. Oh, good to know. I got some video for you. Yeah. <laughs> it takes forever to get it right. And even when you finish, it's not even right because you can go back and smith it to death even more. So you're paying someone to, to cut video for you. You're paying, and so maybe the emails aren't worth it, but maybe the video that they cut is if they know what they're doing. Yeah, but the, most of the time they don't. Like if I get one more yeah. email from a recruiting service, it's like this kid can play every position, or you get well. There's qualities of things, right? 
Yeah, and then even then, some of the video, it's like if a recruiting service sends me a video of a kid and the first thing on it is serving, I know it's absolutely not worth it. Nice. <laughs> I like Jay here. He says, uh, I think, he says, I don't think, but I, I think he should have said, I think. I think Stanford needs a 5'8 middle blocker that has a, quote, passion for the game and has been, quote, working really hard. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, somebody who's a really good bumper. The, the problem is, if your recruiting service doesn't understand the game, doesn't have the connections necessary. Like, let's say I started a recruiting service. Yep. Or Geeter, who, who? who used to be here. He started a recruiting service. Or Katie starts a recruiting service. The value in that is not the service itself, but the connections that Katie has. That's the value. Well, there's some people that are the doing ability it right. to insert you into conversation, or at least get an answer and say, okay, maybe she doesn't fit in your conversation, but Katie can say to, I don't know, Jim Moore. Well, Jim, where might she fit? We're into that because we're horny for volleyball. Hey, I remember him. <laughs> well, and that's what our role is with the club that I'm at now. It's helping the kids to realize what their level is, talking to the coaches, does she fit with you, does she not, is there mutual interest. I mean, that's the job right. of the recruiting coordinator at the club level is supposed to be doing. And there's some people that do a really good job. There's value in it. If you look at, like, Gary Mono, who was at City Beach for a while, started a recruiting service called Truefield. And he markets mostly to high academic kids that want the Ivy Leagues and the top academic schools. And he's found a niche, and he really helps those kids, and he has the contacts at those schools. And, you know, I think that's a really big – if you can do it right. But the problem is every Yahoo in the country is trying to make a lot of money off of the recruiting service. Cause I just started a new one. I just opened a website while we were on. Okay, there you one. go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a matter of do you have the connections and the understanding of the game enough to really help these kids and right. to help them get a realistic picture of, you know, maybe it's not a scholarship. Maybe it's finding a walk-on spot. Is it, you know, we talk to the kids, what level do you want to play at? Is being a starter a huge thing for you? Do you want to play immediately or are you willing to work your way in? Are you willing to sit the bench every game? How much do the academics of a particular school matter? How much do they have the major you're interested in? Right. You know, when you go to visit, I prep the kids before they head to college visits with questions that they should be asking. You know, can you major in anything you want or are you limited to certain majors if you attend that school? You know, things that they need to know and understand before they leave on these visits. And it sounds like this is sort of an infant industry. It is. And it's, it's just it's been It's not born. well regulated, especially by, like, the coaches roll their eyes and delete the emails, but they're not doing giving feedback to these places. Like, hey, you need to do a better job. This isn't an acceptable way to do business. And until there's somebody who's just like, dude, it's it's not going to necessarily do a whole lot. Well, the marketplace has to kind of sort itself out because it is a brand-new industry, a brand-new effort. I don't think it's a bad idea if you have the right person. Obviously, if you have the wrong person, it could be a tremendous waste of money, to Brian's point, about the costs involved here. And I don't like the marketing of fear. That, that ticks me off because if you are a scholarship athlete, whatever level you are, and you're playing these big tournaments, yeah, it would be nice to have you reaching out a little bit. But even if you or your parents reach out a little bit, if you're at all capable, to some of the schools you're interested in, you can find those coaches. Also, someone will find you. Yeah. If you are on a court, even if it's court 32 out of 65 at Crossroads or whatever it is, right? That's 165 maybe at Crossroads courts, but whatever it is, if you are killing it, They're gonna that will get noticed. Well, and it's the, yeah, the marketing. Like before, I came to the club. We had a, a woman who owns a recruiting service in the area, whose daughter had coached in our club, who said, "Oh, you sophomores, if you haven't started your recruiting process and you're already speaking to coaches, you're way behind." Well, and we looked at the kids, and I said, well, there's tiers of that. If you're a, a top, top recruit, and we have a couple in our club, the schools are going to find you, and they already know who you are. 
if you're kind of the next range, that's when you might need a little bit of help, but it's still yeah. a little bit early for your recruiting process. And then the ones that are, you know, on our twos teams, I think all the need more development before they're ever going to have a chance at that kind of stuff. And it's just a matter of, of being able to, well, knowing what you're looking at first and foremost. And so many people that start these recruiting services don't necessarily know what they're looking at when they're watching a kid and then being smart about how they handle it. Brian says here, being candid, the girls are talented enough for Division One, but don't need the recruiting service if they do a little legwork. Brian, sometimes people don't want to do a little legwork. They have too many other things going, or they're not willing to do it, and they have the money, so they pay the money. Uh, yeah, I, I think like anything, you can buy a good and a bad service. You can buy either one. You can have a good or a bad coach inside a club. I've seen lots of bad coaching going on. You could have a good or a bad parent. Your parent might go punch out the ref. You know, that's not a good situation for you either. Wow. Katie, you're going to have to do a little introduction here. Okay. This is, now this is your second effort. This is my second effort. I don't know if I'm going to get any better we're going, than the first time. We're going overtime for this one. Yes. This is an extended section of TNL. We're going to throw in a little love for Division Three Men's Championships coming up this weekend. For the second week in a row. Second week in a row. Well, grow the game. We've been talking about this for a while. So today we welcome to the show uh, the head coach for Endicott College, who had the uh, great good fortune of getting to play for me in my very first year as a coach, um, and who is now the head coach at Endicott, where they got their first NCAA win last weekend uh, by knocking off MIT, and they are headed to the NCAA Championships at Juniata this weekend. Who is it? Welcome, George Chapel. George! <laughs> hey guys, how you doing? Hey, thanks for taking the time to call in. We know you're busy, getting ready. You guys uh, will face Springfield here April 25th in what looks like a quarterfinal matchup. And you, are, you guys are now 19-12. and 12. But as Correct. Katie just mentioned, you, you picked up your first win. Tell us about <laughs> yeah, what was, and what's going was, on on campus. Uh, it was a big one in uh, kind of dramatic fashion, too. We were down 24-13 in the third um, and came back and won 27-25. So pretty unprecedented on that comeback front for me, at least. Hold on. 24-13? Yeah, 24-13. Just told the guys, listen, I'm not going to call any more timeouts. Let's get all the bad mojo out of our systems, kind of the awful play that we were putting forth at that point, and just started chipping away. Um, They called some timeouts, I think, at 16, and then they called another timeout at 24-22. And um, they tied. we went ahead 25-24. They tied it up 25-25, and then we won the next two points on a hitting error and then a kill for us. So, yeah, it it was pretty wild on our part. You were playing against MIT, who was 24-6. and six. What did you do, like write an unsolvable equation on the whiteboard on the side of the gym and just they all went over to it like uh, Goodwill Hunting or something? I mean, what the heck happened here? I don't know. We, we rolled pretty good in the first one, 25-15. Um, took the second set, 25-20. Um, then they just came out on fire and were matching us and uh, kind of took all the wind out of our sails for a little bit. So settled the guys down, said, let's get back on the same page and uh, we had a game plan that we had executed perfectly up until that point. We kind of got away from what we were doing well, um, and then, then we got back to it. And yeah, the tides turned pretty quickly for us. Awesome. Who were your outstanding performers during that one? Um, I'd say overall, like we put on a blocking clinic that day. We outblocked them, 13 and a half total blocks to five. Um, they're ranked number six in the country, and they average about six four to six six across the net. So they're big. Um, we don't have that size on our team, so we just kind of um, put the game plan in order. Um, our, our sophomore setter, who was playing for our injured senior, um, was fantastic. Uh, we only had 27 kills in a three-set match, but 
Um, we just, yeah, the blocking was was huge for us. And our senior libero uh, stepped up big for us at 13 digs. Um, our senior middle hit 375 for us. Another one had eight assist blocks out of the middle. Um, so we had, let's see, one, two, three, four guys with five assist blocks or more in the match. So um, that was really what keyed our win. Awesome. And you guys head now to Huntington, Pennsylvania uh, for another shot at Springfield. What are you guys getting ready for? Ah, oh, great consolation prize after uh, getting that first NCAA win. Um, listen, we know they're a factory, and um, historically they've been at a different level than we have. Um, when we pl played them a few weeks back, we just come off a five-setter against Madai. Um, we still weren't clicking to where we are right now, and we had a few injuries, um, and one of our seniors had lost a grandparent, so he's kind of had lost focus, but he's kind of used that to spur him on the rest of the season. Um, so we know, listen, we're up against a tough task and one of the best teams in the country historically in the last two years. They've won the last back-to-back -back NCAA titles, so it's going to be tough sledding, but the guys are just so happy to be part of this experience, and we're telling them to really soak it in every day and every moment we're out there. So uh, it's kind of un uncharted territory for us here at Endicott, but they're ready for the task, want another shot at them, and they're kind of fearless right now, which I love. George, you're one of these great volleyball people who uh, just loves the game. You can tell from your, your bio here as you go through your own playing experience and immediately getting involved in coaching. What is it about volleyball that keeps you making it your living? Uh, definitely, man. I just, yeah, like I said, I love the sport. I had... Um, a great experience in, in high school and club, and then to come here to Endicott. Um, it's kind of one of those schools that had been around the D3 scene but never really done anything. So to to be here for four years, I, I just I love the experience, and I wanted others to have that kind of experience as well. And as Katie can attest to, I wasn't all world as a player by by any means. It's kind of <laughs> that standard <laughs> D3. <laughs> yeah, kind of a standard 6'2", six, 6'3", six, outside that had converted from Massachusetts boys volleyball in the middle. Um, and I was always more of a student of the game. And, and one thing that's great for me is I can, I can network. I feel comfortable talking to people. So um, I just got out there and I, I picked minds of great coaches I would see out here, like uh, Craig Kolick and Paul Dill at MIT, actually. Um, just talked to them when I was playing against them, when I was, then when I was assistant coaching for the next five years under Tim Byram. Um, and then once the the position off opened up here to split, it's a, it, I applied for it and it took about a year to sort everything out. But I got the head job, and and now it's kind of the, the guys have bought into what I'm selling them, and we're doing great. And uh, it, it's it's just been fun to do this for life. It's kind of something I never thought would be a real possibility, um, but it's kind of always been that pipe dream. So uh, yeah, it's it's been fun so far, and hopefully it's still going to continue uh, to Sunday. So on the Marv Dunphy scale, you have King Kong, you have All World, Medium, and Dog Meat. So George, put yourself somewhere on the Marv Dunphy scale. <laughs> uh, I would love player, to say King Kong and All World, and but I'm not gonna lie, it was, it was close to Medium and uh, Dog Meat in between there. <laughs> I, oh, every man, once in a while, I, I dust off the shoes now and hop in uh, practice every now and then, and. I planted a ball 10 foot the other day, and the guys kind of said, oh, my God, he's got it. And then the next ball I put into the bottom of the net and under the tape. So um, that was kind of summed up my career in a hole right there. The, the negative one-foot line. <laughs> exactly, you're, exactly. You're still playing USAV Nationals. Are you playing this year? I am not. I, I have been. Um, my wife and I, we got married two years ago, and we just welcomed our first daughter, actually opening week into the season. So um, oh, good I, I will not be attending. Yeah, exactly. And then um, – 
plus recruiting and everything. I'm gone six to seven days a week now during the season and in the fall. So trying to pass off to my wife that, hey, I'd, I'd love to go play on that one day I have off. Um, she doesn't really buy that too much and would rather have my help changing diapers at this point in life. <laughs> All right, well, George, thanks for calling us. And remember, when they're inducting you for your 100th win, your 200th <laughs> win, your 500th win, uh, 1,000th win, and the all-time great coach award at the USAV Banquet or at the AVCA convention, just remember, do what everyone else does and thank your spouse profusely for raising the children while you were gone. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Thank you guys very much for having me, and uh, thanks for the exposure. We love it here at D3. Cool. Good, good luck. luck. Thanks, good luck so. Have a good field. one. All right. Thanks, thanks George. Bye. George Chapel. 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 All right. I got to get it right. Chapel. I got to go long A on the, uh, the Chapel there. George Chapel, head coach at Endicott, winners of their first Division Three playoff game. They had a good season, 19 and 12 now, facing off with Springfield, 24 and 7 kind of like getting loyal in the second round. It's just not a good reward at all. Uh, update on some of what's happening with professional players. Matt Anderson, Super League number one in Russia. They are Super League? Oh, they finished regular season number one. Uh, Noliko Mosaic, done for the year. Jeff Menzel, he is finished, probably on his way home. Uh, we had other guys in action. I was looking uh, through this fantastic update put together by B.J. Evans. Thanks, B.J. Eric Shoji and Andy Hine playing for T-Roll, which is Innsbruck. They are still in action in the finals. Uh, Kavika Shoji and Scott Tuzinski, gold medalist, still playing for the Berlin Recycling Volleyball Team, so all the aluminum they can possibly use over the year, I'm sure. Uh, they're still in action. And then uh, Tom Hoff. Still involved here. Tom Hoff, three-time Olympian and team captain in 2008. He is helping to raise money for the Sepsis Alliance. I'd like to know what Sepsis is. Sounds like if you... Uh, I feel like it's not going to be good for you. No, it's not going to be good for you, but he's hosting a... or attending the event Spike Out Sepsis on June 21st in Dublin, Ohio. Getting back to his Midwest roots, even though Tom lives out here in Southern California. He still live right by there. So if you have an opportunity to see uh, that event, you can go out and hang out with Tom June 21 in Dublin, Ohio. Should be a lot of fun and support a great cause. It says here Sepsis is sometimes called blood poisoning and is a, the body's often deadly response to infection or injury. Sepsis Alliance aims to promote and raise awareness in both patients and healthcare providers of sepsis. This has to be connected with his wife, Sandy. Uh, they are parents to five girls. Yes, five. Wow. Uh, their, their oldest already with an awesome jump serve, I hear. Good. So, but they are, Sandy is a nurse, so I'm sure this is something that's close to their hearts. I think that's going to do it, boys and girls. Good show today, Kevin. Boys awesome. and Good girl. job, Katie. Thanks, Jeremy Katie. won't be here next week. Uh, well, we'll still have a show. Oh, boy. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. We'll see how many people tune in. Yeah, there it goes. Cut our audience in half. We're back down to four. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for that. I uh, want to thank 6-8 Clothing for their continued support of this program. Remember, get out and check out them at 6-8ClothingCompany.com. That is 6 and the number 8 and then ClothingCompany.com. At 6-8 Clothing Company, they understand the challenges you face when you're trying to find jeans that are long enough and still current to fashion. Yeah, go to those big and tall stores. No good. They, they want, they'll give you trendy polos and button-ups. I had my, one of mine on yesterday, very Eastery. Great colors. I was wearing it all day. Eastery. 6-8 Casual Clothing Company is designed by a tall man for a tall man. At 6-8 Clothing Company, they've got your back, all 39 inches of it. Dress well, live tall, and go and visit them. Anyone over 6-6, six, six, that's what you want. 
I'm Even out. six five, some six fives. You're gonna want to. I'm out. You're gonna want to check them out. I wear their jeans every day. So this is not only a product and, and someone that's gotten behind our show, but honest to goodness, something I wear frequently, like of, six seven days a week. Speaking of really tall people, real quick, uh, I think it was B J Evans that posted it, but talking about Phil Dahlhauser getting back on tour this year, wanted to kind of make a statement a little bit again because yeah. people kind of forgot about him last year, and he uh, is mentioning that he's not the biggest player on tour anymore. There's a bunch of seven-footers internationally. Um, so Phil is having to adjust to that, adjusting to a new partner, and adjusting to the right side. He's, he's the biggest in our heart. Well, for sure. So let him know that. But it's interesting when you see Phil, and he's huge, standing next to somebody who's seven feet tall, and you're like, wow. Mm. Wow. Phil is ridiculously tall. Yeah. Remember Thursday, April 24th, that will be the MPSF semifinals happening in... Provo, Utah, Smithfield House, playing host to that one. The finals will be on Saturday. The semifinal matchups, good ones. Pepperdine facing off with Stanford, BYU, and UC Santa Barbara. In the MEVA, it's Loyola and IPFW, Lewis and Ball State. In the EVA, it's Princeton and Harvard, and Penn State and George Mason happening. And Erskine already awaiting someone further to bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Chris McGowan for calling in at BYU. We appreciate him. Thanks to George, George Chapel, head coach, and uh, man about campus over there at Endicott, good legacy member of that university. Thanks to Jeremy, and thanks to Katie for being here, and thanks to you, the listener, for getting us via iTunes. Thanks to the ABCA. Uh, give a shout-out to Reed. He made a call in today. Yeah, Reed did Reed, call in. Reed, yep, Volleyball Magazine, as well as 6-8 Clothing, for being a part of this show. And thanks to everyone who knocked on the door, rang the phone, <laughs> and the front bell during our broadcast. Yep. Life happens, people. Life happens. Make sure you include some volleyball. We'll see you next week here on The Net Live. We we don't have to worry about nothing. Because we got the fire and we run in one hell of a something. Babe. They're gonna see us from out of space, out of space, light up. Like we're the size of the human race, human race. When the light's turning down, they don't know what they heard. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. 
there are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.